This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt, his trusty co-hosts Will Sterling, Jeff DeRay, and sometimes the lovely Zia Anderson. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. I am really excited to share this week's episode with all of you out there in Blattcast Nation. Uh, this is going to be our Shang-Chi special reaction episode, which was originally announced and planned for last week. But unfortunately, we had to spend last week remembering our friend, the great Norm MacDonald, who passed away. And I will say, though, that it was wonderful to celebrate Norm. And I enjoyed having the return of the entire original Blackcast crew, myself, Coltrane, Agent Starling, and yes... Eve and Leah have joined us for a while. If you haven't heard that show, there was Tebow time. And that was uh, Blackcast 452, if you want to hear that. So if you have not heard it, check it out. You also might want to check out that episode if you haven't had the opportunity to see the latest Marvel movie, Shang-Chi. Because as we go through, we are talking about all the spoilers. But uh, first, in talking about Norm MacDonald last week, there was so much to discuss that I never got around to one of my favorite random bits from Norm's body of work. So much that I named the episode after it, Wiener Dog. And uh, he clearly thought they were hysterical. I mean, if you look at one, they're hysterical. But he was just going, oh, Wiener Dog. Something about him saying it was always funny. And he even added a Wiener Dog to his sitcom, Norm, which I think people think of it as the Norm show, but it was just called Norm. And uh, that was why that episode was called Wiener Dog. Uh, but that was last week's show. Let's talk about this week's show. You're going to spend about two hours, I think about two hours and 10 minutes, listening to conversations about Shang-Chi, both of which originally streamed live as special episodes of my show, Marvel Movie Talk. That's one of our shows on the Blackcast YouTube channel. You can, at least for right now, find it Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. If you like hearing people talk about Marvel, that's when we do that show live. But uh, the archive version always goes up there, the Blackcast YouTube channel. And uh, first up, you're going to hear me chat with some of that show's regulars. They were all part of our Black Widow conversation back on Blackcast episode of 444. Eric Connor, Jeff Williams Jr., and Caitlin Cornell. Then... The conversation shifts to another group that included our very own Captain EO, Mr. Jeff DeRay, Katie Kawamoto, Elena Jordan, and our old pal Zia Anderson. So let's get started with our first conversation about Shang-Chi, for which we have assembled an all-star panel of four, uh, starting, of course, with the biggest all-star, me, but also <laughs> with us, Jeff me. Williams Jr. How you guys doing? And a man whose uh, Hashanas have been roshed uh, sufficiently, uh, the one and only Eric Connor, giving us a glimpse of her heavenly visage, <laughs> the one and only Kate, Caitlin Cornell. Thank you for hey, being here. I'm back. And uh, Cammy Egan says, hey, Marvelites. Uh, I was telling everybody before we started, I was the guys and gals over at the con guy were kind enough to ask me to speak about Shang-Chi earlier tonight. And Cammy Egan was there in the chat as well. Yay! Uh, so you, uh, we are glad to uh, have you with us. And 
it's okay if you have eyes for another. As long as you keep coming back to us, we are happy to have a polyamorous relationship uh, with you. So a lot to talk about uh, in terms of the movie itself. And when we talk about it, spoiler, 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 we're going to talk about everything. We don't do the spoiler-free episodes. I think they're a waste of time. (laughs) So we're going to do all the spoiler-heavy stuff. But I did want to talk about it uh, just in terms of the only way that we measure success in this day and age, ka-ching, money. And Shang-Chi for the three-day weekend, I've heard a couple different numbers, either somewhere around $71-72 million for the three-day weekend uh, for Labor Day. 90 if you factor in fourth day uh, for the four-day weekend. So, you know, some of that, that earlier number includes a Thursday, the preview screenings. But the previous record holder for Labor Day weekend was Halloween from 2007. That's the Rob Zombie one. If you love the Halloween movies, you probably know that one. That made about $30 million, and that's 2007. So long before the pandemic, it set a record that Shang-Chi more than doubled. It's pretty impressive, and it measures up in terms of overall openings. It's a little bit ahead of, I think, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and a couple of others. So, And to do that kind of business in the pandemic, I think, is really impressive. And there is some news, Marvel-adjacent news, because on the heels of Shang-Chi making so much money, if we all remember Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that was originally scheduled for Friday the 23rd of September. Then they moved it to October 15th, and everybody thought they were going to move it to next year because there was that flurry of movies that all moved to next year, uh, like Top Gun. And then all of a sudden, they're like, just kidding. We're moving it back a little bit to October 1st. So uh, Venom will be with you and all of us on October 1st, which is exciting. Uh, but I think that the success of Shang-Chi owes a lot to the fact that one, it's great to the kind of representation that uh, Asians uh, have not seen much of. You know, you haven't had an Asian superhero, certainly not in the MCU. And, uh, you know, usually uh, I will try and bring one of you fine folks with me when I go to my very infamous press screenings. But I brought my wife to this one because, as some of you may or may not know, my wife is Chinese American and she was very excited for this. And uh, there were a lot of uh, feelings she had seeing this movie. And uh, the most prevailing ones were that she was actually a little sad and a little angry that she didn't have this when she was a kid, that there wasn't you know, you couldn't look at like an all Asian cast like this and there wasn't the Asian superhero. So we can be excited for our our kids. Uh, My son, Felix, who's six, my daughter, Lucy, who's three. I don't know. I feel like first and foremost, this made a a boatload of money because it's really good, but also there is that built in excitement. I want to ask what everybody thinks overall. Jeff, let me ask you first, your thoughts on the movie and uh, why you think it's connecting so well with uh, with audiences. My thoughts on the movie first. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I think that the overarching movie was funny. I thought it was, I thought it had good action in the beginning and it was a great Marvel movie that tied in with everything. And I think that's also why people came to see it. And that's also why they're excited. They were excited for the, for the new characters, for how this new character can be in the MCU and where he's been all this time. There's also this cultural aspect and wanted to see the first Asian lead superhero in the MCU and join the Avengers. So it was cool on that aspect, but um, we'll probably dive in deeper later. My biggest frustration with was with the final battle. It was kind of, for me, 
hard to really watch and hard to understand when when there's dragons yeah. fighting each other and one in the water and one's made of water. So it kind of it, it kind of took me away from from the whole totality of the film for me. The final uh, action sequence, I, I think, to me, I saw that as you know here's this guy, but he's going to be on the same playing field as a literal God and, you know, some truly super powered characters. So we have to really raise the stakes. And I do think it lost sort of a little bit of what made the, the first two acts great. I didn't have a problem with it, but as I mentioned earlier, I was on with the con guys and Jim Fry on that show. That was really his problem. He uh, felt like that sequence of the movie really kind of dragged the whole thing down for him. It, it pushed it to like from like a nine to a seven and a half for him just when we were doing our rankings of it. And uh, look, I understand why they did what they did, but I, but Jeff, it's a great point because I feel like the film would work if it was, you know, a little bit more of an earth based or, you know, you're dealing with these magical rings. That's fine. But boy, I really felt like it, bled over into uh, another Disney property, uh, which also had Aquafina in it, uh, Raya, the last dragon. But Kate, I would like to hear your thoughts overall on Shang-Chi. First of all, I know it doesn't, I don't look like it, but I'm a huge fan of old martial arts movies. I love them. And so for me, this was a homage to all of those martial arts films to like halfway through the second act, I kind of like looked at my friend. I'm just like, I'm not watching a Marvel movie anymore. I'm watching a martial arts film. And and even with like moves with like him fighting on the bus and he does that move with the jacket is a very Jackie Chan thing to do. Yeah. And everything is using what is around him in order to fight and pulling in. That's like his father was a very, very, he uses a very strong style of fighting, a closed fist style of fighting uh, versus his mother, which is an open palm Tai Chi inspired style of fighting. And so you see very distinctly these two sides and to have Shang-Chi use more of a drunken master type of style, which kind of blends the two together and then, and then fully fledge that out as the movie goes on as being trained by his father and getting looser and looser and looser and accepting all of that is really cool. And it's a really great way to visually tell a story. And it's something that's in a lot of martial arts stories and I like that they pulled all of those influences in, and especially when you have Michelle Yeoh, who is amazing. So you have some of these great people who are like, you know, holding up the the flag of great martial arts movies. The last act is where they kind of tried to make it a Marvel movie, and I don't think it worked very well. I think it got too CG, so you couldn't really follow the story. And the main part of the story was, the, the heart of the story was the fight between him accepting his father, or him forgiving his father. And that whole thing, and the second that the father died, and the soul was taken out, and he gives him the rings, the the movie was kind of over for me. Because I was like, okay, we're going to fight a dragon, and then we're going to make some jokes. I do think it was cool that the kaiju almost got the soul out of the dragon. But because it wasn't like, we have to keep them apart as much as possible. And then once you get the dragon in the fight with the kaiju, it's like, well, we can't really, we just have to help the dragon at this point. <laughs> like, We can't really go up against this thing. So it got yeah. a little bit like convoluted and it's the like, you know, I'm not going to leave you, but the dragon soul thing, like I understood all of the pulls and on, honestly, for me, Aquafina saved that movie. <laughs> I mean, I think she's great. It was it, it was definitely one of those things where I wondered, you know, how she would fit in. And I think 
that they made the conscious decision, you know, there's the point where it's like, all right, well, I'm going, uh, no, you can't come. Oh no, I'm yeah. definitely going. And then that set the tone for the rest of the movie, which is that she goes everywhere. And there are several times where other movies would have definitely left her behind. And it would have been in a way where it's like, well, yeah, she's going to get killed. So she shouldn't go, you know, right. but I love that they found a way and that they had her figure out how to shoot a bow and arrow where all of a sudden she wasn't like a master. But even like I have a book on my shelf right now, which if you haven't read it, I would recommend it. It's called Zen and the Art of Archery. And that kind of was her theme throughout the whole movie of and I'm sure it speaks more to an, the Asian American culture of like not knowing quite where to go but also it speaks to our culture and our I, and a younger kind of culture of like not really having a direction and her the fact that she got a story of like I think the woman told her like if you don't fire the arrow you're not firing anything or something like that she, she says yeah. this beautiful line of like if you don't shoot the arrow straight then you're not moving you're not shooting at anything it's basically target. yeah kimmy again the friendship between shang and katie was great because we all have a friend like that we can relate to and uh dominica saxon agrees the chemistry between them as friends who bust each other other's balls was very well done uh yeah all the way down to his fake name of sean uh i thought that oh uh, that was actually a very funny moment reminds me of one of my favorite uh, baseball stories uh which uh, i i share whenever i can and most of us have at least heard of the great ricky henderson yeah. and you know when you're a public figure of some kind you go ahead and have some kind of fake name you use when you stay at a hotel on the road ricky henderson's fake name was rick henderson because nobody knows rick everybody only knows ricky and uh so that uh, that sean chee <laughs> I think also like of all of the side characters in Marvel, I think she reminded me of the most like I would be in a situation like I would want to go on an adventure and that's who I would be on an adventure. An assassin would come up to me. I would stick my hands in the air and belt out the lyrics to Hotel California because I wouldn't know what to do. And you would almost fall off a building. And I would and, almost fall yeah, off. Like, there's I, no I, way. The, the, the difference like, is, by no, the way, that I'm not I would, going out this way. I would definitely fall off the building. There's, but I there would have been no to, saving me. The end of my thought, and if I can, I wanted to ask Eric because he's also a screenwriter. Like, I like what I liked about all the, the characters is they all had something to do. They all had an arc yeah. they had to go through, like Shang-Chi, the sister, Katie, the father, and even like Trevor Slattery, which is really weird. Like, like they had their role to play in the story, but they also had their, these kind of very clear defined places to go internally. It wasn't just Shang-Chi's story. So I wanted to know if like you you caught that or you had anything more to say as also a teacher of of writing and and somebody else who looks at this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I mean, one of the things I thought was so great about this was its ensemble and how developed so many characters were in this movie. I mean, you're right. Like in other Marvel properties, Aquafina would have been gone. You know, they wouldn't have killed her, but she just would have, you know, look, uh, Kat Dennings in WandaVision. Yeah. Like she just would have disappeared. And they kept her. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why they why Wong needed her at the end, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll if it gives me more Aquafina, that's great for all our diets. We right. all need more Aquafina. We all need more water. So it's it's cool. And I and I agree. I think it was the characters were active, you know. And they also it's interesting because I watched this twice. I saw it Thursday night late, um, and then I went with my family today, uh, just like my ancestors would have during uh, the yeah. first Rosh Hashanah many years ago. Right, and you know, and I, I, I found you know, for one, my wife, this was this might have been her favorite Marvel movie in years, uh, because 
she found like the female characters. She kept just saying like they were so interesting and they they were, you know, they they drove the story as much as he did. And when I watched it the second time, I realized he got kind of quiet for a while. Right. You know, like in essence, the second half of this movie, there's a real big shift. And 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 I, I I'm just gonna echo what all you guys are saying. In some ways, I wish they never opened that portal. Because yeah. once they did, you're right, it, it's like literally the genie came out of the bottle and it didn't need to. Like that actual no. fight scene before that was interesting. And I remember at one point looking at it and it was like, it wasn't thousands of people fighting. It was a few dozen, but we knew the stakes were really high and it was easy to follow the action choreography. And this is great. Kate, it's funny you bring up Drunken Master. Because that is what I said as soon as we walked out of the theater. I looked at my sons and in my best, you know, rabbinical voice. Now, my sons, you are ready. You are <laughs> ready, ready for Drunken Master 2. Not one, two. Because Drunken Master 2 is one of my favorite movies ever. I saw that in the Legit. theater. It's so good. It, it is the greatest. And it's also a good, like, it's like a good gateway drug for kung fu. Just like this is a good gateway drug for martial arts. And the action choreography in this, my God, I was so excited to watch that bus scene and the scene on the scaffolding again. And when I watched right. it a second time, I was even more impressed. And and I'll say this, Act 3, the big fight at the end, it, it, you're, you guys are all hitting it. It became a very sort of usual Marvel film or usual Disney property. Um, and it didn't need to. It didn't need to go that big. I, I love the visuals. When I watched it a second time, I could follow it more, definitely, like any of us could. But I agree. It, it, what was so great about this, I mean, the villain, it's one of the most interesting villains they've had. And Tony Lung, Lung uh, I apologize to Leung. all my friends in uh, in China who I cannot pronounce the last name correctly. But he's, he's this wonderful actor. I mean, in the mood for love. I mean, he's been around for years. What a great casting and character he was as a villain. But I will... I'll hand the conch back to you, Christian. No, that's fine. Uh, it's a communal conch. You know, everyone gets their own talking stick, uh, so right. it's fine. But I think that he's great because he is that sort of villain where you're like, he believes that he's right, and here's why he believes he's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the example that I always use is as, as crazy as Thanos was, he really thought that he was making the universe better by getting rid of half of it and you know that's the evil part of evil genius i suppose <laughs> and you know mad, those are those are part. yeah the, the mad titan and i think your best villains are going to be the ones that it isn't just like like when we first meet loki and he just wants to to rule things you're like okay you know the the layers we get to that character the fact that we've had so much time to spend with him i i think it helps so much. And I, you know, I mean, I think you, you usually have like, well, the bad guy wants to rule the world or rule the galaxy. If it's on bigger stakes. I know we're talking about Shang-Chi, but the Loki thing, the first time we see Loki is not the Avengers, but the, well, like the one that I wanted to see was the one that was established in Thor, which was the, I could have done it father, that guy, where it was like, he was doing it just to impress his dad. And then right, that's yeah. all like, I think that that, that Avengers movie even though he was great in it and it was establishing it, it was more about establishing a team instead of establishing a villain. And this one, they were trying to do both because for Shang-Chi, the villain of it, be, like making his father, the villain of his story was so pivotal, but yeah, you also had no, to like understand the loss of that. And I think people who 
do have hard relationships with their parents, but they still love them. I think that that rings. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, to a I lot think, of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that's why people connect with it so much because of the importance of family. Yes, his his mother has passed on, Shang Chi's mother, but we have this mother figure in Shelly who's always fantastic. Uh, so it's so great that the, she's able to be in this movie and you know in the the aunt role. Uh, I think that's yeah. great that we have her. Uh, just his sister is uh, the fact that she taught herself all of the training because they wouldn't train her just by watching you know they always talk about yeah yeah fred astaire was a great dancer but ginger rogers had to do it backwards and in heels so heels you got to say it like uh richards right heels yeah but something that's happening in the chat is that because of that post-credit scene it seems like she's the villain and I actually don't think that's true. I, I, I don't I don't think Ooh. she's she's a villain. Uh, his sister, uh, Shang-Chi's uh, sister. And I actually forget the character. It, it's sort of that moment. It's like uh, for anybody who saw the, uh, yes, I'm going to use this show to spoil the end of season two of The Mandalorian. But if you see the, uh, the credit scene at the end of The Mandalorian season two, when uh, Boba Fett takes over Jabba's palace, which let's be honest, it, it was it was Bib Fortuna's palace at that point. Not that hard to do that takeover, but and it's also like the the what ended up being the final season of Luke Cage when wow. he was going to run the club. It's Harlem's Paradise, yeah, <laughs> where someone ascends to uh, you know a, a role as like a head of basically an organized crime family and look she's gonna run it her way and uh since this is the you know i don't want to talk about the other post credit scene for a little bit yet but i do we're talking about this one i had this idea that everybody was training and they were all women and then so then i had the idea of like well at what point is she going to team up with all those black widows that got uh set loose into the wild because at yeah. this point they've been on their own for five to ten years i don't i don't know how many years it I is do. since the black widow movie in the timeline you know because it was civil war and then we're already five years past the snap so anyway the point is I, I think that's a cool opportunity right there, you know, that uh, the the Ten Rings uh, begins working with the, the former widows. That could be a good opportunity, but there's another person that I feel like there has to be some connection because she also runs a fight uh, fighting league in, in uh, Madripoor. And I'm talking about um, Carter, right? Sharon. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, Sharon Carter. I think there has to be some type of connection there, some type of communication because they're both running two different um, fight leagues and it's, it's too similar, too close together. I would love to see that type of interaction. Yeah, no, no. I think that is something that we will see, you know, getting some of the widows involved, but this idea that she's going to end up probably butting heads with Sharon Carter, that's going to bring her into the MCU. I feel like that scene is setting up the next Shang-Chi movie, whereas the other scene is setting up, you know, how he's going to interact uh, in future Marvel movies. I think we'll probably be seeing a, a lot of him in the near future. I think because it's not the end of this. The movie was not Shang-Chi would return. It's the Ten Rings will return. Right. I think the mid credit scene was establishing he's going to go the Avengers track and Ten yeah. Rings is going to be a completely different thing that 
follows the that's going to tie in with uh, Captain Captain America Four. But it's going to be it's going to be the sister. That's going to be her offshoot, and maybe they'll they'll connect with Shang Chi later on. But Shang Chi is definitely going on the Wong track because it's the Ten Ring. I don't know, like saying the Ten Rings will return. Do you think the Ten Rings is going to return in ten episodes on Disney Plus? Maybe. One for well, each I mean, ring, see, explaining what the hell I can see Valentina also hooking up with them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, is it so far down the road? Um, it, by, by the way, we're talking team-ups. I tell you, at one point I got really, like, weirdly wistful and sad about, man, I would have loved to see a Shang-Chi Black Panther crossover here, which they could still do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, but not the new Black Chala. Panther. Specifically, Black Panther, Chala. Uh, and him would have been such a great team. And and and, and really, too, because it's also like they're two sides of the same coin in terms of relationship with father. One's living up to the legacy of this great man. One's trying to escape the legacy of a horrible man. And I just thought, like, as I was watching this and the world building, it really felt like a cousin to what they did so well in, in Black Panther. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. I always loved, I mean, I know Christian's opinion on these things from his letter, his very well-worded, very long letters he wrote as a child. Mm. But Marvel team-ups, to me, I mean, that's always loved those as a kid. Loved seeing, you know, how much leaning into Strange with the new Spider-Man. But I, I think, like, that team-up would have been great. So It would have been the Flintstones meet the Jetsons of the MCU, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree for a second. No, I've, Detective I, yeah. Munch in every show ever made. That's true. Yes. I've, I've always loved team-ups. And I, the idea of getting to see any of these characters working together. Uh, Ivan Soto is echoing uh, a point. They said the 10 rings will return, not Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi will get another movie though. That's what I'm saying. And I think that that's what's going to, that's when we're going to really deal with his sister. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't necessarily see her at all before that. But I think that that's really sort of setting up that kind of a thing. You know, it's a, you know, sometimes your, your post credit scenes, uh, factor into what's coming next in the series of movies, and then sometimes it's Adam Warlock, which we're still waiting to actually see. You know, we'll which we got at the. I mean, it, it was at the. It takes time. It was. It was at the end of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two, two, and Guardians of the Galaxy three is uh, still a little ways away. In any case, I think that there are such strong characters, and I think it's great that there are so many strong female characters because you have you're getting this Asian representation all throughout the film, uh, but it's not just like you know a bunch of Asian bros. You know, there are legitimately great it, it, it isn't just oh yeah there's a couple of uh you know it's like just aquafina being his friend you know just katie right you know there there are so many it, his sister and uh as we mentioned you know even though it's in flashback i mean his uh mother clearly a badass you know that's cool to see you know her take down uh his dad and you know eric uh every everybody's uh falling in love story is pretty much like that right i mean uh everybody fights in some mystical land uh for protection uh when they first fall in love i mean that's my story with my wife i'm sure yours with your wife as well so yeah it was was at grand central in new york city i mean it was a knockdown bloody battle and then we couldn't well, defeat each other. So, you know, what do you, you do when you can't defeat your foe? You marry you, them. And you were just defending the honor of Metro North against the evil New Jersey <laughs> transit. So obviously <laughs> that's really what you were doing there. But yeah, I think that, uh, look, strong characters, 
they go so far because it's it goes from having a, a good movie to a great movie. I, I see what the point is that uh, Jeff and I think everybody's uh, a lot of people are agreeing in the chat. They felt like we kind of lost something during that one section. Uh, right. But somewhere in here, Ghost eighty three eighty six. I loved the third act of Shang Chi. It reminded me of Avatar: The Last Airbender meets Dragon Ball Z. It's definitely a mixture of of genres in there. My only rebuke to that is when has either one of them had a good live action movie? The answer <laughs> is neither, and it hasn't. <laughs> so those can remind you of it, but like that's not a good thing. But uh, Daniel was saying uh, that he was worried that Aquafina being you know might be too much for the movie like the rock being in a movie being a distraction or being too big for the movie but she wasn't that i think that it was a character that well suited her she's able to still be her but we really care about her and we can see how much shang chi cares about her and then the fact that she gets you know her own element of badassery uh, in that third act uh i think is great i think aquafina does something really really well in her performance which is completely authentic to her. I think Aquafina, in her authenticity of herself, she's able to do something, especially for female acting, and I think it can also translate into more guys, that they put on that tough persona, and you believe that she believes it, but you can see underneath it that she's very vulnerable and trying to hide something. So she's doing two things in her performance at the same time and she's doing it really really well so we can see her being like yeah i don't need to like i could be a valet driver my whole life and underneath that line you can see her going no 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 so it's really great about how what aquafina gives to the movie and what she gives to younger actors is the ability to say one thing and you know she's saying another thing. And so yeah. when she finally does release that of like, oh yeah, I really do want to have a direction. And someone actually tells her like, no, you you want to have a direction in your life. You're not fooling anybody. Then she cracks because the vulnerability was there the entire time. It wasn't a stretch for her to finally like release that top layer. So right. I think for, a young, for younger actresses and, and younger people, people watching this who are like no i got this i i can pay my rent and i can work like two jobs i got this i got this and it's like no you don't got this <laughs> and like being more open about that i think yeah. is like and watching someone who's willing to be open about it with a tough person persona on top of it not a lot of people can do that no and I, look i think it's great from a practical standpoint that they set up her it's very important to have her driving later in the movie and uh, i'm glad we got to see it instead of like Hey, didn't you tell me once you're a good driver? Oh yeah, let's <laughs> let me drive. You know, and there's actually Daniel Drew wants to share something. He's talking about how those creatures weren't dragons. Uh, after he saw it, Daniel slid into my DMs, and uh, we talked a lot about the movie because you know Ooh. most people hadn't seen it yet, so it was hard to be able to talk <laughs> about. It. But in terms of the fantastical nature, I love where he's going with this. Uh, so what he messaged me was that Michelle Yeoh mentions some of the other cities and maybe one of those would be Kunlun, which does tie into Iron Fist. Uh, and the Matt Fraction's listed in the credits for this movie. So a sequel could actually reintroduce Iron Fist and they would actually give him some time to learn how to fight for on screen. <laughs> and then he also said, even if it wasn't Kunlun, it could definitely be something like that. And I think if, if they're building something specific like that, it does fit into the mythology. These are all characters that Marvel can do whatever they want with again. And uh, if you don't think that they're not focused on giving you an Iron Fist that is uh, more awesome than the Netflix version, then, uh, you know, you don't, you're not really giving, uh, you know, Marvel enough credit for things they do. In terms of 
trying to get a do-over in here. I have been very outspoken on the record for how I felt about the usage of the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. And I think that was uh, definitely a, a nice reveal that he's in this movie. But as I mentioned sort of vaguely right after I saw it and in the weeks since, Ben Kingsley was at the premiere. And once Ben Kingsley was at the premiere, I'm like, oh, okay, so he's in this. I just didn't think he was going to be in it this much. And the reveal for where he was and how he goes with them, like all that, that was a huge surprise. And it, it definitely, they made amends for Iron Man 3, uh, at least to me. Because I feel like they did a disservice to a character that is actually pretty cool in the comics, even making fun of the fact that his name is the Mandarin in there. Uh, let me start with you, Eric. What did you think about getting to see Trevor again? Well, uh, that's definitely one of those turning into the skids. Oh. And I'll tell you, that was bold. You know, it's like, hey, F you, we like this ridiculous character. We're going to give you more of him. You don't like it? Kiss my ass. That that was the attitude it felt like. And he is so fun in this role that it's one of those, if I just read the screenplay, I'd have one opinion, I think. Watching Ben Kingsley, though, like, you, you don't necessarily think of that guy as a comedic genius. Like, I mean, Gandhi told a lot of really great jokes. I don't know if you remember in the film. Yeah, he know, was the Aquafina. He was funny. Of, of <laughs> Gandhi Fina, I think, was the name. But it, it, in the end of it all, I thought, all right, they took something, they did a bit of a do-over, yet at the same time, they're saying, you know, no, we know what we did. But I thought it was smart how they kind of worked him in. And it's almost like if you didn't have Aquafina, you couldn't have him. So Aquafina was like that gateway drug to have a little bit of like goofiness in that character in the middle of this otherwise not so goofy world. I was so happy to see him. I was shocked because I, I, again, with that twist and, you know, ruining, not ruining, but wasting a character in Iron Man 3. I think they brought back the character so well in this, even with the name thing and saying it's a chicken dish, you know. I, I think that what they call in golf, a mulligan. I, I feel like it was a mulligan that felt earned, at least to me. Dominicus Saxon has a quote from Trevor. I'm just playing, just playing dead. dead. It's called acting. Uh, Cam Egan likes that too. It was great the way that they were able to use him. And yes, how funny he was. Let's uh, not shortchange his uh, comedic partner in, of course, I'm talking about Morris, the uh, delightful <laughs> faceless creature. You know, when he gets reunited with the other, other of his kind, uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, well, the well, kind of I, thing I, that you're not expecting in, in, in a movie. Yeah, you know, when you sit down, it's like, uh, yeah, this is a kung fu movie, but it's in yeah. the MCU. You're well, like, oh, yeah. And then there's like a, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying the best line I thought actually was, you can see him too. I'm not crazy. <laughs> that, that that was crazy. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Planet of the Apes stuff was <laughs> fucking ridiculous. funny. Wow. I was dying at the Planet of the Apes with this, like, I cannot believe that they taught the apes to ride horses <laughs> and just like completely yeah. <laughs> but I loved it yeah just the way that he delivers that I you know, love the they... MCU for making people who are normally like super serious do things that are ridiculous and not just ridiculous in terms of like you're gonna fight a CG monster ridiculous but like we're gonna have Richard E. Grant wear tights ridiculous yeah or like say this stuff about like believing the apes were trains. Like we're like, <laughs> yeah. we're going to take you for know what you're known for doing and make you do not that at all. Yeah, Come no, on. exactly. And uh, I, I think that works. What did you think about the fake Mandarin uh, of it all, Jeff, getting uh, Sir Ben Kingsley in here? I was interested to see how they're going to play it because like you, I saw him at the, at the premiere. 
I wasn't really a huge fan of that because I, I'm starting to uh, less and less like all these spoilers that we're getting for all the TV and film projects Yeah, because I'm more wrapped in it. But it is what it is. He was there. With that being said, I was surprised by how well I liked his his acting and his role in this in this movie. And um, I really loved how they just like kind of called themselves out in a sense and made it work in the times, kind of made it more culturally relevant in a sense. But like still just made it work in the movie and didn't put too much emphasis on it and move past it. But like he made sense. He added a comedic like timing to the film and it was cool. I didn't think he distracted it off and I, I really enjoyed him. Yeah. Also, no, they I, changed I, the flag, mm. the Ten Rings flag. They changed it from the first movie for, or yeah, from, uh, so from it, it, Iron Man well, 3. It, yeah. And we've also seen the Ten Rings flag yes you saw in i think multiple iron man movies actually and then uh this was pointed out on the show i was on earlier and i'm not taking credit for it but the the criminals in uh, i think it's ant-man and the wasp the guy has the 10 rings tattoo on his neck and i definitely didn't remember that and uh, that's why uh, I love running in nerd circles because even when I think I'm a huge nerd and I'm right, uh, somebody's even bigger. And I always appreciate that, you know, because it just it just adds to it. Christian, but they're not more powerful. No, no, not not on this show. You know, Can that- <laughs> we also talk about the, the Zach Cherry cameo that happened? <laughs> so do you remember the guy from Homecoming? Who was like, yo, what up? Like, can you do like stunts for me to Spider-Man? Oh, he was yeah, the yeah. guy on the bus yeah. that was going like, yo, I'm on a bus. I, <laughs> like, I actually, I'm sorry. I didn't remember that. That's so funny. Like, that guy was great. Yeah. I, that's, I, was I just thought he was funny in this and I didn't even make the connection. I didn't either until after the movie. And a friend of mine was like, no, it's this dude. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't take full credit either, but that was super yeah. fun. I think that there's there's so much about this that I think works. And one of the things that I find I really liked is that this is a movie where our hero is already a hero before he actually does anything about it. So he already knows everything. He knows he knows he can do all of it. It's not like, oh, I'm surprised yeah. that I know Kung Fu. You know, it's like, oh, wow, look at what I, you know, it's not you know, you get that in a lot of movies that like, Oh, I have these powers. Let me figure out how to, how to use them. No, he knows how to use them. He just hadn't been. And I thought it was great because you're really able to hit the ground running. You know, that bus sequence is so good because he's able to be so awesome in it. He's not like, well, I don't know what happens if I do this. And, you know, and we've gotten some of that before. Like obviously when we meet Thor, he's already a God. And, you know, I mean, there are plenty of examples, but a lot of times we're watching a kid get bit by a radioactive spider. And then he has to figure out how to, what he can do with it. And uh, I thought that was great. And then of course, bringing him up to speed for how he's going to be able to participate in the MCU in the future, you add the rings to it. But uh, I feel like Shang-Chi was a very strong character from the beginning because he has all this knowledge and all these abilities. Uh, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I like the way they, they showed us that as an audience, the way they showed us in the, in the format, we didn't have to like go through too much of his childhood at the start of the movie. We just saw it in kind of quick glimpses. And then he surprises everybody in a sense of all the people that's around him, mainly Katie, but it, it made us really like grow with the character. I, I liked, I liked Shang-Chi a lot. And I felt like it was, it was cool because like 
he was fighting who he, who he was destined to be and who everybody wanted him to be and he just wanted a normal life so it gave him more a lot a lot more relatability to a more general audience i don't know if that was it when he re- well i i agree with you but when he reveals to katie that he actually did kill that gangster yeah and that's what he's running from i i feel like it's like he was running from turning into his dad and the closer yeah. he gets to his dad, like the more he, so it's like, I'm not just, I'm like adding. And so yeah. I think him having that, what was cool about the sequence is like, he adds to his martial arts knowledge by learning from his aunt about his mother and trying to be more like his mother. But it's like in learning more about how to be your mom, you cannot deny that you are also your dad. And I wish they said it in that way, because that was more of the theme of, you can't deny that you, you are part of your, your dad is part of you in this quest to become more like your mom. I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the character building, the importance of family, all of that straight through. And I think that that really lends itself to why people have responded so well to it. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I'm glad we had uh, some people in the chat who loved the last sequence. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, interesting when people see things differently. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't think it, it was bad in any way. I just think they didn't need to go there, but clearly they felt they did. Uh, that's the choice that they made. And why do you so, think they felt they well, need to go there, Christian? Well, I think that they are building a much bigger mythology. And like I was saying, okay. Daniel's thought that it could tie into Kunlun or uh, even if it's not that, but other mysterious lands. I think it's very likely going to tie into that uh, okay. because of, you know, the in terms of dragons and all of that stuff being a huge part of Iron Fist's backstory. So I think that okay. at some point we are going to get there. And I think that they felt like that this makes sense. You know, and- like this is a time to bring that in. So let's just go ahead and do that. I weren't going to do like this wasn't Fing Fang Foom, but like we, I wasn't a huge fan of these dragons. So like. I'm just I'm just not excited for bringing more dragons. That's not like other than him fighting dragons. Like I'm just not excited for that. So, um, so you're anti dragon. Yeah, what do you right think now, about right that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting. Chat. At. What do you it's think like about Jeff? Jeff hates dragons. I mean, as long as they're not water dragons, like I just didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. Like, was he real? Could like could you just jump through him? Could you swim Do, through it? Sorry, you, Kate. I, I just want, went on a tangent. No, you want no, you want dude, I think going on what kind of dragons do you podcast? like? Puffs the dragon. I just want real dragons. Like, no dragon you know. at all. Puffs the like, dragon. Yeah. If we're flying dragons, like I mean, you know, that's the real dragon. That's the only dragon that matters. I'm just hesitant to be all in on dragons when we go on like Iron Fist and, <laughs> and more. Sorry. By the way, Jeff, this is like the the second or third time that some variation of this was said in the chat. Jeff likes the Flash. Don't take his opinion seriously. Look, you know what's devastating? Oh, that's brutal. I did. I hosted the Flash for one season out of eight, and they're like, "Oh, he's a he's a Flash guy. He's a Flasher DC only." My question for the group was, and I think I think Daniel mentioned something of it right when I was going to ask. Yeah, of course you did, Daniel. Um, was do we think that it's if even hopefully for for Jeff's sake there will be no dragons, and hopefully for Michael Shirley's sake there will be no Sharon Carter, but like and, and no Mephisto, think, by the way. Do we think <laughs> that this is an Eternals tie-in with the Deviants? Well, and that's the, where and I was like, going. Yes, that's exactly I what you. I wanted to talk Look about. Look at me helping you, Christian. So when we get to <laughs> you earn your square. 
the mid credit <laughs> scene where we have the legitimate surprise of the movie getting both Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. And, you know, Cammy Egan brought this up in the previous chat on the other show, but she's right. He's Bruce. He's not smart Hulk. Uh, he does have his arm in the sling, which is going to be the case for the rest of his life is what we understand, you know, doing that snap. You know, I mean, we saw what it did to Tony. We don't know why he's Bruce, but I'm sure they'll explain how he's gotten to a place where he doesn't have to just be smart Hulk all the time. But I did think it was interesting. I love the way that we get Wong running in there. It's like the end of Back to the Future. It's your kids. We need you. And that's why he needed to get Aquafina too. It's like, Marty! <laughs> then he's going to knock Aquafina out at the beginning of the next movie and leave yeah. her in an alley. Because they were like, wait, why did he have to get both of them? I don't know. We're going to recast her and everything. But in any case, we get to see Wong and love the karaoke scene with Wong. I don't want to go too far, uh, but let's just say one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It can't be my favorite scene in the movie, but it's pretty close. The karaoke scene with him. It's way up there. Yeah. But then analyzing the rings and how old they are and the fact that it's one, it's not Chitari. And Carol's like, yeah, I ain't never seen none of that. That's not what she said. But this <laughs> idea that it is old. I would pay her and, to say it like that. Yeah, though. I would too. The fact I've never that it's seen really... nothing like that before. That don't look like no Chitari. <laughs> so I think that uh, the idea that it's old, older than anything that anybody can figure out what it is. And the fact that Shang-Chi using them for the first time, him using them, not when his dad used them, when he used them, it sent out some kind of a signal. I believe that this is a direct tie-in to Eternals. And these are, this is deviant technology. And then the whole reason we've never seen the Eternals, even though they've been here and they, there's plenty of times they could have helped out is that their only purpose is to protect uh, from the deviants. So I feel like that's exactly what this is. And that made me even more excited about the scene is I'm like, oh, they're figuring out a way to like, I, I never thought Shang-Chi and Eternals were going to connect in any way other than the fact that they're going to be in the same universe. And then at, at some point, you know, they'll be in the same movie. The scene was a nice surprise. Very funny too. the whole thing that uh, Bruce doesn't have Carol's number. You know, but she's just like, yeah, he knows so how to get in touch with me. Funny. Nobody knows how to get in touch with her, basically. And he ghosted it, you all. She went, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did. She so. ghosts everything. Yeah. I have a question, though, about the Bruce thing. Do we think that the, the when Tony reset everything as it was before the snap, Smart mm -hmm. Hulk happened after the snap. So did the, the, did the snap unmake Smart Hulk? back into I, Bruce Banner? I don't think so. I think he only brought back people who had died. I, I don't think other th okay. things, things about people who had changed. Just hypothetically, if someone had lost a limb, I don't think that would have come back, you know? Okay. Because the whole point of Endgame was to not undo To not undo the, the last yeah. five years. Yeah. It, and because it then was we wouldn't really... get all this, like, post-blip anxiety. Yeah. Which was no, a poster I mean, it, on... It... Great poster. Yeah, great there's poster. a great poster. Yeah, well, there's we some cover... too well now. There, there was conversation in the chat about trying to figure out when this was. It's definitely post blip. There's uh, posters for blip counseling, you know, support groups and such. So yeah, that's when this is, but let's talk about that scene. So the, the end scene when we've got everybody, Kate getting to see uh, Captain Marvel, Bruce Banner. They haven't really done anything with Captain Marvel and where she's going to end up. And they, you know, Bruce being Bruce was a little bit surprising and I don't know how to treat that. I don't know how I feel about that. It's just, I have more questions now. 
But I do like that, especially in this movie, that Wong was the more dominant character and it wasn't strange because it gives strange a chance to go to Spider-Man and it gives Wong a chance to kind of be in this like kind of otherworldly and take more control and take more power as opposed to just being the sidekick character to Doctor Strange. He kind of has taken the lead um, to explain this universe to people who don't understand it. And I think that's why I really like this as a Marvel movie. And I think a lot of people liked it is because it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. They didn't need to know anything about it. They just, they got an origin story and it's like, here we go. We're you, now we're bringing it into yeah, the universe. Until you get to the mid credit scene. Uh, you don't need to know you, anything you, about you, the Avengers. You can have never seen a, a single Marvel movie. So it's and a yeah, nice Wong, little like gateway. Yeah. Wong and the Abomination. Sure. What I'm I, curious that's kind about of, is when in Wong's timeline this is, is because Spider-Man's going to come after this. Yes. So it's like, given what I've seen of Wong in the trailer, it's like, how do we get from this Wong to that Wong? Well, and if it does indeed uh, tie into Eternals, that'll probably be your answer. So we'll have to see how it all fits in. But uh, look, I thought it was great. And then I think from a production standpoint, just because, you know, this movie was filmed during the pandemic, that makes the fight sequences that much more impressive that they're able to do have them look so good. But then also I really felt like the way that Carol and Bruce were uh, used, it was basically like we FedEx Brie Larson, her costume and the camera, and we talked her through how to film her, you know, do a self tape basically to put into the movie. <laughs> it had that feel to it, but I, I think it all worked. They used that technology in Endgame where they were all, you know, represented there on the screen. What did you think, Eric, of that scene in general, but then, you know, showing us how this is actually going to fit into the MCU, where, and then like up until that moment in the movie, you weren't entirely sure how it was going to all fit together. Well, it's smart. I mean, I'm trying to remember, guys, like the order, was Shang-Chi always supposed to be before Eternals? I believe so, yes. Okay. No. Yeah. Wasn't Eternals going to come out last year? That's right. Well, yeah, but but I thought Shang-Chi was also going to come out earlier. And Eternals was also shot during the pandemic because that's why she made Nomadland because she could make that movie during, you know, the early part of the pandemic. Yeah. That's my understanding. But for for to your point though, what uh, yeah. about the the timeline? What what is that? Well, I'm just curious if like then because they've had a reshuffle, then they're like, okay, well, we got to put some thread between these. And and Eternals right now feels like it's so over there, you know, in terms of like no overlap, you know. And so I I think it is smart anything they could do to sort of throw kind of like a life raft over to Eternals to bring it in because otherwise it really is just this dunish you know nomad land ish kind of thing which looks by the way very cool i'm increasingly excited to see it but um it it it, it is one of those like how are they going to make it feel part of mcu so anything they could do to connect that smart with in my book i also was thinking is this related to kang is this related to i was about to say atv now it's already been so long since loki i'm forgetting the, the name tva it. yeah tva i like atv more that's because you like to go four wheeling out in the desert all the time right yeah. um so so no i think it they need to do something um there was one thing i was going to throw out there real quick because i know we're wrapping soon one thing about by the way the telling of the story that was pretty daring was their use of flashbacks and, and leaning so much in the past. And it, it actually reminded me so much of just a lot of cinema I've seen out of China and Asia over the years. You know, that idea of like storytelling where it's not afraid to pause, go back into a chapter of the past, come back. Right. And I, and I, especially when I was watching a second time, 
I think I really appreciate the fact that they were, they were able to pull off so much of the origin stuff happened before page one. And they did such a great job, I thought, of kind of weaving that in as it went along so that it never felt like it slowed down the narrative, which is a real challenge. Because sometimes, depending on your taste for these things, some movies you might watch from, from China, sometimes like the, the pace is something where you're just like, okay, they're sitting and talking again. I thought it worked here, though. I'm, I'm kind of glad that they leaned into that part of not just having a story with Asian characters, but really kind of leaning into a trope, if you will, of Asian storytelling. I know you guys are like hype about that scene and it, it can connect to everything, but I just feel like I'm glad y'all are happy about it because I thought it was so bland. I thought it was so boring. <laughs> and I thought it was so easy for them to do. And to be yeah. honest, the only person I was excited about was seeing Wong again because yeah. Captain Marvel doesn't move any type of needle for me. Bruce Banner is going to be a side character in, in the next uh, Hulk TV show. So I wasn't really excited for that. And then they kept it very broad. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. it could have connected to Eternals. It could have connected to stuff. So I wasn't excited for that mid credit scene. Just right. getting that out there. But Kate, no, I knew you had to release. Uh, so yeah, what, what was the release schedule on that one? So the original release schedule before the pandemic hit and changed everything was supposed to be Black Widow, Eternals, Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Loki, and Spider-Man Far From Home Whoa. or No Way Home. Right. Well, yeah, because uh, the the TV obviously all all got bunched up together because uh, they yeah. were actually able to deliver it to us was really yeah. a, a big reason. But, uh, oh, but yeah, now okay. thinking about it that way, it's like, did they have to refilm stuff to put it in this new order? Like, and how did they yeah. change it? Because now it's all yeah. different. So now I'm curious of like, because they probably changed things to fit this new order, because it definitely feels like, especially in the Spider-Man no way home trailer is that that started the multiverse of madness and not wandavision leading into dr strange so it's like how right. did we, yeah. how did they flip this and then loki uh, like i thought loki was the part of the beginning of the multiverse of madness so like that being after multiverse of madness and loki being in the movie where how does that even work so yeah no i mean it's interesting it would be great to know according like, to collider so this is yeah, the, yeah. i was my the depth of my the, research so if anyone is that, like no that's it, bullshit it, let it me know. would be interesting to know like if that was the plan what would have been different just out of curiosity uh in terms of something that uh, eric was just talking about uh, kemi egan points out that uh, in the Kongai show earlier it was brought up how the subtitles had the perfect tone for the whole film it is a great point that there is so much of the early part of the film, there's so much that's in subtitles and it's always very easy to come up with a reason why people are speaking English, but it would have made less sense than most times where you see it not make sense. There are a lot of tropes like you're talking about, Eric, in terms of Asian cinema, but uh, also at the end of the day, it really is still a Kung Fu movie. So uh, yeah, I think that before we wind everything down, I wanted to share, Eric has asked to uh, share with the class some of his handiwork. I want you to set up this next one before I show it, Eric. Explain <laughs> the concept before uh, before we share the visual with people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before before people uh, uh, protest and, and burn all their Bladcast t-shirts and bumper stickers and back scratchers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, okay, so I was watching this movie and I kept thinking about like, oh my gosh, like 
1980s, the movies I grew up watching and how Asians were portrayed. Kate, it's funny, you brought up Kung Fu movies. When I was a kid, Kung Fu Theater was on every Saturday afternoon. Yeah, And that was like a go-to. And, it was the, and I'm talking, by the way, back in the day before I had cable, when I actually did have a TV with bunny ears, because yes, I am that old. I'm a, a little older than old man Christian up there. Um, Just a little, though. And I might be Jeff Williams. It's possible. I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't know much of anything back then, but who knows? Um, but the long and short of it is, it, you know, I was thinking, I mean, how horrendously stereotyped Asian characters were for most of my youth. Oh, my and, God. And, and really, like, even up until recent years. So with that in mind, with all due peace and love. But yes, uh, the idea of what if they made Shang-Chi in different decades? And, and then, I think of we course, say again that like we're making fun of how Hollywood treated. Yes, this, no, no, this exactly. Horrible character. And, and if you've seen Breakfast at bad. Tiffany's, it is one of the most beautiful films. And then in there, in the middle of all this beauty, Mickey is Mickey Rooney? fucking yeah. Rooney as an Asian character. Wasn't he and nominated? Is, was he, he nominated was, for that? I no. think so. Oh God! All right, I mean, Kate. I'm going to put you on the research. We're going to burn I'm putting on it. the ground that night it. if that's true. So, so thank uh, God this was made when it was. Is, is yeah. maybe how I'm putting it. No, I know, and and you know that goes back to what I was saying was that my wife just the idea that if she could have had this when she was a kid, that there would have been the Asian superhero, you know, and uh, instead you can look towards the future. You know, our kids will have a world where there is an Asian superhero. I don't think they're quite ready to see this yet at six and three, but when they do get to see superhero movies, they'll already be the the fact that, uh, Oh yeah. And then, you know, this guy, he's Chinese, just like you are. Uh, and, and, so, and Christian, I, I offer my services to re-edit Breakfast at Tiffany's, so your children can watch it. I'll do a Rooney cut. Yeah, we're yeah you, all you, Mickey Rooney out of it. You, ha- Thank you God, should tackle, he wasn't. He you wasn't. Should ha- you should yeah, have to. Fine. He was not nominated. And Somebody yeah. else was for doing some horrible thing. Well, even like Short Circuit in the eighties, you had uh, Fisher Stevens, Fisher yeah. Stevens, yeah. an Indian character. I mean, it, didn't John Wayne also do something? Oh, of yeah. course. You he know, I mean, Khan. look, we yeah. we can easily do a whole show on these but my my favorite will always be the uh orson welles classic a touch of evil where of course a mexican is portrayed by charlton heston but carlos heston carla (laughs) senor heston so obviously you're making light of hollywood with the graphic it's interesting because the character of long duck dong in 16 candles is something that it's not just problematic it's more indicative of how people handle you know uncomfortable stereotypes i mean my wife and her family watched that movie and it's not like they didn't laugh at those scenes and it's only later that you start to realize like and that was one of the very rare occasions that there was an asian character in a movie and they thought it was funny and look i think people need to be able to laugh at themselves and look that movie's from a different time where you felt like you could do that but does that mean it was right i don't know but a lot of people sure saw that movie and it made a lot of money and it's not like they yanked it off the shelves you know so but it is a perfect reminder of how far we've come from things like that i think it's indicative also of when we started getting more in america especially it used to be open like if you could just walk off the plane, the gangway, you could make, you could come here. 
yeah. until the Chinese immigrants started coming here. And then that's when the whole push for like immigration law really started. And then because Americans didn't want them to take the steel jobs and the railroad jobs, they were relegated to more quote unquote feminine work, laundry and restaurants. Yeah. And so for a very long time, Asian men in particular, and I've been watching this, especially with like, I'm really into food and I'm really into Kung Fu. And it's like, it's hard to watch the history of uh, Asian American men in television be relegated to the non-sexy, non-attractive comedic relief to like the white male character. So to see, even with like all of the Eternals that are are Asian that are yeah. that are kind of becoming, even though they're becoming more like Western masculine as opposed to just masculine in their own right, and to see Liu who looked amazing first of all <laughs> it was nice um <laughs> but it was great but you have these like men who are asian that are like we're redefining and we are sexy and we are masculine and we are we're not that stereotype we're not transforming into a western stereotype we're becoming our a new thing and we are attractive and we are capable and we're not just kung fu masters or, you know, the butt of jokes. We're here and we're able to do other things. So props to the way that basically Simu Liu was like, hey, great job, Marvel. When is Shang-Chi happening? And they called him. It's just like that turn takes place by perseverance and persistence. It is great that that's really how it started, you know, was he like literally tweeted at them and here he is now he's a he's a superhero like it's very easy to be critical from you know uh, there's a lot of times where you can be like well that movie would never get made anymore and in some cases it's not necessarily a bad thing in other cases it's yeah. like well it's good that you still have it from a, a time period you know it's uh there's a lot of that that people feel like oh the, the world is too sensitive but the upside of that is that i like to think that we're better for different groups who feel now that they're represented. You know, we got Black Panther. We have this. Uh, we have Shang-Chi. And Eternals is a great example because there's a trans character in that, right? I'm almost positive. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I think about so. I think, yeah, I know. I think one of them is. And then, yeah, you just, you see the the cast and it's uh, it's very diverse. And it is that simple, that the importance of representation. I don't know, like... Jeff, if when you were a kid who, you know, your favorite like heroes in movies might have been, but it's the same thing as my wife thinking about like how great it would be if they're, you know, Shang-Chi had been around. If, if Black Panther had been among Superman and Batman and everybody else, you know, uh, I, I, I would imagine that that would have, uh, it would have been important. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Um, for me, it was always like cartoons. Uh, I was going to say, I would go back to like, anime or just yeah animated cartoons or superheroes it was never just like someone that looked like me it was never the the black panthers the black lightnings the um miles morales of the world now there's i mean there's so many different people that we can count or that we can name now but like back then there wasn't i always thought of different actors as my superheroes until they played that so like will smith will smith was my superhero that's the first name that comes to mind. He's the biggest movie star of that era. 
And that's a testament to, you know, the how times were changing even then, you know, I mean, it's, it's a great point that I hadn't thought of there, you would see that representation and, you know, DC has all those animated movies that they've done yeah. over the years, and you're going to get to see some of those characters in it. Whereas, you know, for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, Peter Parker and Scott Summers and so many of the heroes that I read in comics, I'm like, well, yeah, they all look like me because I'm so handsome. It, Honestly, and- like my car- my favorite superhero, and I was so angry that I didn't look like was storm that was my girl wow (laughs) i was like i don't want to be rogue rogue is lame like i want to be storm (laughs) (laughs) she lost her when she lost her powers i remember as a kid reading that issue and i was like oh yeah but like like i remember watching and reading storm and then watching halle berry in the movies and it's just like but that was like the only one i remember from when i was a kid and Mm -hmm. like i can't even imagine like I don't know. Like we finally got our Black Widow movie, and we're finally we got like we we say like oh we finally getting and we're finally getting. But like the the, the clock is like the finalies for everybody else are like can, can we go now? Like <laughs> it's also about money, right? This movie yeah. makes money. That opens. I mean, imagine all those doors open depending on the box office receipts here, and and that's where I was writing in the chat to you guys. Like TV oftentimes gets there first, right? They. I mean, sitcoms of the 70s were more daring than any of the movies or dramas back in the day. And so, yeah, this one having a huge opening weekend, that's great. Honestly, that's the fear I think a lot of people had was they're going to open it exclusively in theaters during a pandemic so that they're going to be able to say, well, we can't make uh, any more movies with Asian superheroes, with Asian leads. I mean, you know, look, the Snake Eyes movie was in and out of theaters very quickly. It's on Paramount Plus now. And that was not the release plan that they had for it. And that had an Asian lead. So you could very well have been able to make that case. So the fact that it did make money, that's really what it all comes down to. Well, look at how successful this was in spite of so many things working against it. Look, the biggest city in this country, you can't go to a movie theater unless you can prove that you're vaccinated. And this movie still made a ton of money. I believe New York is the only place that I know for sure that that's the case. Uh, but they're talking about doing it in places and we can always talk but, about it. And they that have that whole time. passport system set up. So yeah. it can yeah. be done with a, much um, more ease. For our uh, visual listeners, uh, I brought up uh, my favorite uh, image of uh, Rora Monroe Storm, which is uh, Kate. I think that this this is the, the look that uh, you should have wanted to go for, especially the Mohawk. Uh, if you ever think you might be able to pull it off, uh, please uh, be sure to let us know. I mean, Storm is, she's queen. She's just queen. I can't touch it. I know I'll never be able to touch it. I, it's, it's yeah. you know. No, because, I mean, you she took was it. the best. She was, like, calm. She was fiery. She was on her game. And, like, there's only so much I can say. But and, she was and, just the coolest. And to Eric's point, (laughs) the transformation of that character after she lost her powers in Uncanny X-Men 185, when Rogue was supposed to be the one who got shot. And, you know, this life-death story, which is like I read as a kid, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. There's a lot of emotions. (laughs) But it's amazing. And, you know, she also becomes the leader of the Morlocks who live in the subway tunnels. And she has no powers, and she beats Cyclops to be the leader of the X-Men in uh, Uncanny X-Men 201. You know, it's like, I don't need powers to beat you, Cyclops. You're so lame. 
I I kid because I love Cyclops, even though he uh, he's got a bad rap these days. You want to talk about a character that uh, I think that uh, Kevin Feige and uh, our friends at Marvel Studios are very excited for being able to tell their take of uh, Storm and, of course, all the X-Men. Ivan Soto uh, asked the question, uh, will America Chavez be the first Hispanic in the MCU movie side? There's already a few in the TV side, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Runaways. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had uh, Ghost Rider, uh, which was great. But uh, I think you're probably right. I mean, we're also going to get Kamal Khan, our first Middle Eastern superhero. So I think that uh, it's great that these movies make so much money that they're able to, you know, convince people like, no, you have to let us tell these stories. You know, and it, it all goes back to, you know, the the first Iron Man and Thor and, you know, all the early movies uh, being success. That's how we get here. You can't rush it. You can't do your superhero team up movie as your third movie. I'm not going to say who did that. But anyway, I uh, did. Yeah. I know Kate. I know that's why you've been so busy. So Kate building universes. Well, Kate, uh, it's been so delightful having you back with us, but we know that you're much too busy to hang out with us. And so Kate, if people want to be able to keep in touch with you, since you don't want to keep in touch with us, how do they do that? Rude. (laughs) A little rude. God. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Cornellable. Um, and then on YouTube, uh, Caitlin Cornell Crusoe. And it's on everywhere. So yeah, somebody asked um, me what my YouTube was I, earlier. I, I know. I'm it. glad you mentioned it because I, I meant to put that up. And then uh, we had a lively chat for it being almost 1.30 in the morning on the East Coast. Uh, I think it's a delightful chat that we're having. Uh, so thank you to everybody who participated. Jeff, uh, let everybody know yes. where you can where yes, we can bro. find you. Sorry. For all the lovely people in the comments that want to find me, you don't even have to throw in any numbers in my in my username. You can just do at Jeff Will Jr. on all your social media platforms, and I'll see you there. And finally, uh, Eric, where can people find you? Well, uh, if you want to find uh, the person that Jacob Downey referred to as the hottie on the panel, over at Count Eric Connor, over in the Twitterverse and the Instagramverse. I hang around on Facebook at night to... Eric Adam Connor, though my my given name is Yitzhak, in honor of Shang Chi, embracing his true identity, and other voices out there on Amazon. Thank you so much, Eric, Jeff, and Caitlin. But now we move the conversation along. Very excited to be joined by the one and only Katie Kawamoto. Am I getting your name right? I realized the last time I didn't make sure I said it right. And it's close enough. It's to the point now where I don't usually correct people. Technically, it's Kawamoto, but. Oh, Kawamoto. Okay. You know, well, look. Asian names are hard to pronounce. You you're, know, you're the one who pointed out to me before the movie did that it's Shang-Chi and not Shang-Chi. So, Kawamoto. Like I'm, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like Sean. Uh, and. Work uh, otherwise. And our pal Elena Jordan down there. Uh, for our, our video listeners, uh, she has sung on every one of those records. Uh, Elena, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, and, of course, the one and only Jeff Duray, who has also sung on every record in his room. This is correct. I was actually going to make that joke, so thanks for... Thank, thanks for giving you nothing to say right now. Mm-hmm. As usual. <laughs> As usual. Well, uh, Katie was uh, kind enough to invite me recently to join her on the Con Guy, and we talked a lot about Shang-Chi then. But for this audience, I want to kind of sort of reset and just sort of big picture. 
Katie, tell people a little bit about yourself and what it meant for you to sit there and watch Shang-Chi. All right. Yeah. Hi. If you guys haven't seen The Con Guy or saw the other show that I did for Black Widow with uh, Jeff and Christian, uh, my name is Katie, a.k.a. I usually go by Katie Christine, but for uh, for this show, we'll say my full name, which is Katie Kawamoto. I am half Japanese, half Caucasian. Uh, so this movie, I've been, as soon as they announced it, I've been really excited, you know, to get some Asian representation in film, uh, especially in the MCU. And it was emotional. I'm not going to lie. I saw it on opening night at Universal City Walk with a line of other Asian Americans and Asians uh, waiting to get inside. And it was a really surreal moment. And I'm so happy that I got to experience on opening night. Any Marvel movie on opening night is obviously a wonderful experience, but this one had a different weight to it for me. Because uh, growing up, I don't think I knew another Asian until I was in like, high school, because that wasn't family. So it was really nice to actually have to see that and the second time I've actually seen it twice now uh, I cried the first time at cert- I don't remember what part I cried at but it was just a very emotional emotional roller coaster for me in a good way and then the second time I actually cried cried at a different part which was at the mid credits scene <laughs> in the end of the credits which uh, I won't talk about that yet because I don't know if we're doing spoilers right at the top or not but uh, basically knowing that this is not the only movie that we're going to get with Asian Americans or Asian characters it was real. It's nice. It's a really great feeling to finally see that when you don't growing up, you don't have a lot of people that look like you on screen. And now I do. And she has the same name as me, too. So, you know, excited. About yes, that. I know. So she's Katie. You're Katie. And yeah. uh, so that means that the the Funko Pop of Katie is essentially you. So yes. that's why you had to make the Chinese, sure you get it. the Chinese version of me. I guess. Yes, of course. And, uh, you know, I was uh, saying earlier that it's sort of the same thing uh, that my wife experienced for people that aren't aware my wife is Chinese American and she really enjoyed the movie was great to glad to see the representation but there was this sort of feeling of like I imagine it you know she was a little angry that she didn't have this when she was a kid and you know you look at the positive of how great it is and you know I've said this before that we have two kids that one day when they're making their way through all of the Marvel movies they're going to have them all already so there's you know so you've got Black Panther, you've got this, you know, you've got Captain Marvel, you've got all of this representation that it took 20 plus movies to build. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's great that we get to see that. And uh, I know that it helps that the movie was fun. It was enjoyable. It was really well done on top of the fact that you get the representation. Now, Elena, I understand that uh, your rave review was uh limited to, well, I guess it's not 140 characters anymore, but you had a tweet and the Shang-Chi account was like, yeah. can we retweet your comments? It's actually in New York City, apparently, on the big marquee, they put up my tweet. So yeah, one of my friends saw it and didn't take a picture. So I was like, well, thank you. What kind but- of friend is that? <laughs> yeah. like, it, they switched it by the time I got my camera out, but I was like, that's you. So yeah, I didn't know that that was going to be a part of it, but yeah, they... um. They did a screening, an advanced screening that I was lucky enough to go to at the Chinese theater. And um, Simu actually surprised everybody and did like a voiceover before it started. It was like, hey, we're so sorry. We're having technical difficulties. So everybody thought that like the movie wasn't going to play. And then he like came out and was like, just kidding. It's me. <laughs> yeah, it's a, so it, it's, it sounds like they took a page out of like Muppet Vision 4D. You know, I was at, I was at a Louis C.K. show where he did that. 
really? where he pretended that it wasn't. <laughs> he stood off stage and uh, affected a really horrible Boston accent because it was in Boston. It was like tonight's performance has been canceled, unfortunately. <laughs> And you could tell it was him, so it was just stupid and walked out. That's fun. Yeah, that's, I like when people introduce themselves. So, uh, but your tweet in particular, you were talking about just sort of how overwhelming the visuals were. So I want to kind of start with uh, that seemed to be from, you know, our limited interaction uh, because you were one of the first people I knew who had also seen it, that that was something that you were just really impressed by, right? Yeah, I'm, um, it was kind of, I mean, just the whole energy from it, too, from being at, I'm sure you feel the same way, Katie, like, opening night screening, like, being around, like, people who are hyped about this movie, who cannot wait, and then having it, you know, introduced so everybody's already, like, standing on their feet, like, clapping and excited, and then the very beginning, like, oh my god, that opening sequence, I'm like... That from from that second, I was hooked. Like, I mean, that was just one of the most beautiful. I could just watch the first like fifteen minutes of Shang Chi just over and over and over again. Like, just gorgeous. And I loved all of it. I know some people had um, issues with like the CGI in the third act, but I didn't at all because to me it looked like like I'm like if you look at any of the like I don't want to spoil things, but any of the representation that you see of the creature that you see it's yeah. done well <laughs> like, yeah. it. well, it's hard to say that without spoiling things but yeah. the cgi i did not think was bad and i thought the visuals through all of it was just absolutely stunning the camera work was amazing they had so many good visual jokes too just in the way things were shot and the timing like i just thought all of it was just perfection i loved it well, I think that uh, this would be a fine time to let everybody know that uh, everybody that's watching, listening, wherever you're taking it in, that uh, we are going to dive in on the full spoilers at this point because uh, Jeff Duray never met a spoiler that he didn't want to give away. You know, it was like when he was a kid, it was like, oh, did you see my girl? Oh, you mean the movie where Macaulay Culkin dies? And he also <laughs> would. That's not what you call it. <laughs> he also would refer to the sixth sense as the sixth Bruce Willis is a ghost the whole time since. So uh, we'll just uh, make sure that we pull the Band-Aid away. And if you haven't seen it yet, you shouldn't be watching us. You should get out there and uh, make sure that you see it uh, while it's still in theaters. And uh, I guess we're like, what, 35 days from when you can watch it in home. But Jeff, uh, overall, th oh, also, I want to know your overall thoughts. Did you trek all the way out to the furniture store to see it or did you just see it at a regular theater? Furniture were still closed, unfortunately. Oh, boo! Uh, yeah. Wicked lame, as they would say. Uh, <laughs> That's a I wicked did. bummer. Wicked bummer. But I went over to the theater to see it, of course. Uh, I don't know how else I would see it at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was good. It was a good showing. I went to an early showing on a Saturday because we went to a movie the night before on a Friday night, and it was awful. <laughs> um so we were like really concerned. It was in the same theater. I like, we had teenagers like running up and down the aisles screaming during the movie. It was really like, what is happening here? So I was like, Oh, please don't do this during Shang-Chi. Like, I swear to God, I'll just punch a kid in the face. I don't, I'll go to jail. It's worth it. Uh, and did just interject uh, when I saw Ant-Man with you, I did think you were going to punch a kid did, in the face. I was Ant-Man close to punching that kid in the face. <laughs> if um, they were running up and down any of my theaters, I would have legit probably tripped them. 
Yeah, and look, as as someone who's brought kids to theaters who have run around those theaters, uh, uh, it's usually during the you know the daytime kid friendly shows. But I I don't stay in the theater with them when they do that. You know, <laughs> it's usually the time to pick to scoop them up and go like, well, I guess I don't get to see this movie, do I? <laughs> yeah. In fairness to all these kids, I'm pretty sure I ran up and down the aisle when the T Rex came out during Jurassic Park. So. I, you know, I've been there. I understand. I can relate, little children. Uh, anyways, so we went to a good showing. It was a lot of fun. I loved the movie. It was great. I mean, I think it's fantastic when a movie can both be representative and also just a fantastic movie, right? I think Black Panther did that the same way where, like, you can hold it up in its accolades for being representative because there's nothing else wrong with it it's not just about representation it's a great film that also is great representation i thought this did that i thought it's uh it's interesting how it didn't have to kind of connect to any of the other marvel movies too much for me to just really dive into the mythos of this movie and enjoy this movie for what it was and i'm really excited to see how it connects back to the rest of the marvel universe as a whole i mean we got the little bits of him talking with wong and the council of whoever but i'm just saying like it's interesting to see because they specifically tell us no they were not vibranium which i think every i was thinking the whole time that that's what they were the 10 rings obviously uh and then you've got this whole like okay so how much older is it oh there's also totally a realm of mythical creatures that's also on earth that also has all this other shit going on i'm like fantastic this is just you know keep opening up more possibilities it's only going to make the cinematic universe more interesting yeah and and i've put this out there before that um my thinking in terms of the age of the rings and the the weird origin of them will tie into eternals because of how many thousands of years they've been here the deviants being the aliens and uh I, and that's just a theory it's just the the theory that i have you know uh katie one of the things that's already come up in this conversation and when we spoke about it previously there was this concern that some people had i guess in some cases it was a complaint about the third act and about the dragons and the cg and you know the water dragon and you know some people even said that it could be a little hard to follow at times but i thought that uh, in the time since then uh, i i had seen some comments about how that part of the story is just very representative of Chinese storytelling, you know, and how that it's a part of the folklore, you know, to have these sort of beings in there. And I always felt, though, that that was important because this is a guy who is really good at hand-to-hand combat. And yes, he has these magical rings. But before you get him to that point, it's like, well, he doesn't even have the same gimmick as, as Hawkeye. You know, it's almost like, how is he going to be able to work with the Avengers and try and combat some of these huge, you know, otherworldly threats? Well, uh, he's beaten a dragon, a crazy, you know, monster dragon. And he's got a dragon who's a best friend, too. Well, not best friend. Katie's a best friend. But like number two is that dragon. Well, she was Raya, so it's pretty much the same. <laughs> it's true. I, know. I, I did her, notice that. She dragon. is Raya. She was yeah. a dragon in Raya. Yeah, she was the dragon in Raya. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, and look, it's, you know, people walk out of a movie, whatever they like, whatever they don't like. There's 
there's nothing to be said about people who feel that way, but it just became such a part of the narrative. I thought it was worth addressing at this point that it, it's not just this, it went off the rails in the third act. Talk a little bit about the inclusion of, of you know, really this mythology to it. Yeah, I think, you know, I get, I personally get a little tired of people critiquing a movie for the CGI, um, unless it's distractingly bad. Um, I don't like that argument anyway, because it's like, oh, yeah, they can get a real dragon. Like, no, it's going to be CG. Like, just kind of accept it. And yeah. Did you see the never ending story? Okay, (laughs) that wasn't CG. It's funny you say that, because when I saw it the second time, I went to a private screening that my buddy Ben and his wife set up. And I think while that part was happening, he was like, okay, never ending story. And so it was funny that you say that because you said that while we were watching it. But it's a mythological creature. But I think that is actually one of the parts where I got emotional the first time I saw it because I was like, it's a dragon. It's it's a dragon. Like, you need a dragon in a movie that is so rich in Chinese culture. And not only that, it is the Chinese stylized version of a of a dragon. You know, we're not getting the Game of Thrones dragon where they have the big wings. It's, no, it's just the ones that float in the air and they're almost like a flying snake. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And with that much movement for a dragon, how do you not have a little bit movie CG? But at the end of the day, I go, listen, I can't do CGI better. Most people who are saying it's bad CGI can't do better. So just let it be and enjoy the majestic beauty of the fact that he is riding a dragon and killing (laughs) a dragon. And it's sticking with this, just this culture that they, they kind of set up this world, that world in general, that they go to is so beautiful. When they when you get that first shot and you're you're seeing the nine tails, yeah, I keep saying nine tails because that's what it looked like. Um, so it's like you're seeing this world where there's all these other fantastical creatures, and you're mad about the CGI for a dragon. Like, yeah, it's just kind of silly to me. Yeah, and I just obviously I feel like if you're going to complain about CGI, it shouldn't be in movies that are made in 2021. You know, like older generations of CGI. Although I think Terminator 2 still looks pretty great, but in general, like you can see stuff and you go like, "Oof, they should probably take another pass at that." But uh, in terms of the specifics, I uh, wanted to give credit to the person whose tweet was the one that really just kind of put this in my head, and his name is Andres Cabrera. Somebody else I know had uh, had uh, uh, retweeted this. And what Andre says is, I've seen a lot of Shang-Chi's third act CGI criticism. I get it. The MCU formula feels present, but the same as any other MCU movie take is off. Everything CG felt intentional. It was enriched with Chinese mythology. The cultural references made it stand out from any other MCU. And I did know people that basically they said it that's what made it feel like any other movie. And I think that, you know, there is an element of you need to raise the stakes for future movies. But at the same time, this was the story that they set out to tell. And I don't know. I feel like I also watching it. I'm like, this is all really cool. You know, I mean, look, we know bad CGI when we see it. We know when somebody has, you know, cut corners on their 3D conversion and, you know, all the different ways when you see when a movie was rushed. And I don't know. I didn't feel any of that. And uh, Alana, uh, Elena, I always look at your name and I know it's spelled Alana, but I know your name's Elena. Uh, Elena, um, just talk a little bit about sort of those sequences. And, and, you know, I know you referenced it before, but that was when you weren't sure if we could use the word dragon. And uh, we are using the word dragon. 
They're dragons. I love it. I think that I, I think Katie kind of hit the, the nail on the head is that a lot of people I think who criticize it feel that it needs to look stylistically like a realistic dragon because they're not as familiar with Chinese folklore and with the the gorgeous, gorgeous painted. I mean, you look at some of these old tapestries and things with the dragons painted on, and this is just like one of those come to life. Like that's why I feel like it is very, very intentional, and the way that they look is so i mean it's it's lifted right out of of the visuals that you see and they show them throughout so i don't understand why people don't really get that so <laughs> i'm like if you didn't know it they showed you it painted at the beginning and then throughout the movie so okay but yeah i loved it because it just felt like everything was so true to the story that they were trying to tell and having it so set in this folklore and having it as a visual representation come to life in 2021 of this ancient you know representation i mean who's to say that the dragons didn't look like that you know like if that's how they were all painted yeah it, it, it's like the point that i always make when people complain about specifically the the time travel and end game it's like oh i'm sorry the made-up science that they use in their movie it doesn't subscribe to the made-up science that you like in other movies it's like yeah these aren't what dragons look like really have you ever seen pictures of dragons from you know like the 1700s i think this is what dragons look like fire yeah sorry what was that elena Oh, I was just saying because consistently, like throughout all of Chinese folklore, when they show a dragon that's like a water dragon, it looks like the water dragon. <laughs> when they yeah. show like the evil, it, it looks like it. So, I mean, it's not even like, a, is it accurate? It's like, if it's consistent, then that's a representation of that consistency that you see throughout that kind of, you know, folklore that's painted out. So I don't understand why people are hating on it so hard. I loved it. But yeah. right. I also uh, loved too that Morris looked like my cat just without a face <laughs> and with wings. I was like, oh yes, this little chunk, I'm here for it. Meanwhile, also, some, somewhere your cat's legs. like, uh-oh. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> What's that? that? The creatures have six legs. I didn't realize it till the second uh, watch. It's not I, four legs. There's six legs on that thing and then I, the wings and no head. I've seen it twice now and I did not realize they yeah, had six legs until you just either. said it. Yeah, I just knew that guys... they were adorable. And when are Disney putting those in stores? Because uh, it's it's already not in stores. And I feel like it's taking too long. Fox Lunch had a shirt with that creature on it, with Morris okay. on it. And I was like, okay, all right, see, you're, you're, doing, the, you're doing it. But also, to echo Ooh. off of what I was saying, too, though, is that when the people are talking about CGI, in that last third act, when, when Shang is going against the dragon and he's doing the air bending and water bending thing, you know, above the sky, I'm just here thinking... This whole this whole third act is way better than all of Aquaman. <laughs> so. uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, don't you miss Patrick Wilson's clunky dialogue? I mean, there's uh, there's there's something missing, you know. And uh, I don't know. Look, I can't. I won't be able to see Amber Heard in a movie without thinking about Johnny Depp and yeah. uh, the what she allegedly left in his bed for him. So, uh, yeah. Aquaman's already sort of uh, floated out of my mind. Thank you. Well, how could um, you not think about that in Atlantis? Like, where do their BMs go? I'm so glad you said BM because it's 
somehow funnier than poop. Um, Jeff, let's uh, talk about, you know, so we're, we're focused on, so, you know, we've been talking a little bit about some of the otherworldly stuff and like, wait, I wait, thought wait. it all looked cool. Yeah, go ahead. I, I want to be, you know, devil's advocate on why they could have done a better job with the dragon. If they did a sweeted version, like be crime, be kind, rewind with a Chinese luck dragon and just people running around with a paper dragon on them, I would have thought that was better. That's so you it. you want practical effects instead mm-hmm. of you want paper dragons and yeah uh, yeah only. well yeah <laughs> only <laughs> um, let's uh, talk a little bit about one of the things that seemed to universally have uh, the best endorsement from the movie and that is the land based uh, fight sequences uh, specifically the bus the side of the building uh, you know those are the, the two most immediate uh, Jeff uh, just talk a little bit about you know having these fight sequences uh, in a way that they are integral to the story, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, first of all, just letting us know who he is and what he can do. But uh, talk about those two in particular, the bus and the side of the building. I think it's really impressive when you know that uh, Simu has a background in stunts and did that shit. Like, there's a video of him jumping off the bus and swinging around. So it's like... It, I think it's really impressive that somebody can do their own stunts like that, like, and be convincing with their martial arts and then be that charismatic. Like, I think he's a, uh, I liked him in Kim's convenience. I've said that before. I think he's a really talented actor and I, I'm excited to see him in more projects. I hope this is a jumping off point for him and we get to see him in a lot more shit, but I, I loved the bus fight. I think that was the one I liked the most. I like, you know, the the side of the building was awesome, but the bus fight to me had more of those, uh, the little winky moments, and it was more of the introducing him as a fighter. So I just I appreciated that more. Uh, I don't know. The they're, they're, it's hard to That's judge the two of them it. against each other. Yes, the the jacket yes. is a is a very inventive moment. It's a you know, it, it's being able to include stuff like that. I think is great. Yeah. It also had like a when, with the jackets part and in, in the bus in particular. I was a huge fan of that too. Only and I was like, oh, first of all, took the jacket off. Second of all, put the jacket back on. But also, yeah. it kind of had a it kind of had a dancey like a hip hoppy dancey type feel too, mixed with like yeah. this martial arts thing. And so I just was loving that uh, in general. And the fact that he just full split out, kicked people in the face. I mean, and then when I would cut back that. to Katie, just being like. Like that's what that's what I'm saying. Like the visual humor is like in the middle yeah. of this amazing fight sequence, arguably the best, you know, hand to hand fight sequence that we've seen in the MCU. I would say, because um, I can't really think of one really that's comparable to, to you know, the yeah. moments that we see in that one, especially the jacket scene. Like that's the one yeah. that I just like. I lost it. So good, but like using the jacket to like stop the punch and then just like flip. Like oh my god, amazing. Um, I, I just thought it was brilliant to have that and then cut in where you had, you know, the moment to laugh and then back to like the, oh my God. It just made you feel so many things in such rapid succession, especially in those moments that were paced out to be quicker. So it just made it feel like it went quicker too because you felt so many different things in such a short amount of time. 
Brilliant. Yeah, and I think that uh, Katie has that great role. Katie in the movie, not you, Katie. Sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, she has that role of sort of like, you know, saying the things that I think uh, a lot of us in the audience would be thinking in the moment. And, you know, some of it's very little. Like when she's like, what happened to your shirt, dude? You know, <laughs> just stuff like that I think is very funny. And uh, She you is know. every single, like, person in the audience uh, yeah. that is just like – you would, you would be like, okay, oh, why are you, why are you not wearing a shirt? I don't mind it, but like, yeah, why? <laughs> that was also the best way too to do the exposition that you need and have it in a way that didn't feel forced at all because it's like, okay, they've been friends for this long, so they would be, you know, able to just speak their mind with each other, but to be able to say all the things that we in the audience are like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and just explaining it out. Yeah, no, I think that uh, obviously, you know, there's been plenty of conversation about the importance of family, which we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, the fact that uh, Shang-Chi and Katie are really, they're their own family. They both have, well, Shang, uh, Shang-Chi really doesn't have family that he sees and interacts with. So he's sort of made himself part of Katie's family. And I think the closeness of them sort of driving the whole movie. And I, I've, I've certainly commented on this before, but the, the fact that there are multiple times in the movie where she could logically have been sent away, but the fact that she wasn't, I think makes for it to be fun. And there are practical reasons to have her, you know, it's like, well, she does drive really fast. And then, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, uh, what, uh, Kate Bishop's going to be able to do as uh, Hawkeye's new buddy, because I feel like, uh, Katie's going to give her a run for her money at this point, <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll see that match up, you know, the, uh, well, I hope you like people shooting bows and arrows. Um, what were, uh, some of the things Katie, and like I mentioned, I've seen it now for a second time. And I always like to see movies like this a second time because, you know, like a, like a big, like a star Wars or, uh, or a Marvel movie, those it's always like, there's always like, Oh my God, this is the new one. I'm taking everything in. And then when you know where it's going, you can kind of relax a little bit and see. So you were talking about, you know, the uh, noticing the physiology of Morris the second time. What were other things that kind of jumped out that maybe didn't really stick with you from the first time? Yeah, you know, maybe either things you didn't notice or you just kind of forgot by the thing that happened immediately thereafter. I can't say there was anything else I really didn't like noticed again uh, after seeing it the second time. There was just more time to kind of let it marinate and think about think about the long-term effects that this movie is going to have thinking about how every action was intentional things like that on a side on a side note uh hey ivan soto long time no see in the chat just saying um but also um like what i was saying that there was second part that made me cry the second time uh, it was the mid credit scene which uh the mid credit obviously since we're talking spoilers the mid credit scene you see Wong having a conversation with uh, Shang and Katie and basically they're critiquing what these rings are, what they mean and that's when you realize this is a big picture thing. This is not just a one shot thing where you're only going to see these characters once. That's when you say, you realize oh wow, like, and it made me emotional when, when, when Wong says basically says, welcome to the MCU Yeah, and it hit me, I was like oh my, oh Oh, 
okay, we're getting Asians in the MCU. Like we, they're here because of this movie, but you don't always think about it because you're just so en- en- engrossed in this land that something so small means this big, huge thing is coming. And I think that was the biggest thing is when you first see the movie, it's all hype. You're like, is it going to live up to Marvel? Is it going to be as good as this movie? Is it going to, you know, is it going to be as good as Endgame? How is it going to mean play into the multiverse? And your your brain, as much as you want to turn it off in your first viewing of a movie, it's hard because you're you're thinking about all these things. And a second time, you can be like, okay, I've seen it. I know what to expect. Now I can actually critique like, oh, is this thing about the CGI true? Is, you know, all this true? And you can kind of see it through a different lens in a way, even if it doesn't mean noticing things you didn't notice before. Because I don't think I noticed many things that I didn't notice before. So, but that was the biggest thing for me is it's like, and now I can just enjoy it more. Yeah, and and specifically to the point you're making, you know, the fact that there had been these conversations and some criticism about the third act, I was like, all right, I'm going to settle in and I'm going to take a look and I'm going to see, did I just give them a pass? And honestly, the second time I was like, no, I still thought it was really cool. Uh, so that works. Uh, Jeff, what were some of the, the standout things? Obviously, we're talking about the, the fight sequences. Uh, what were some things in the moment where, you know, even if it's little lines, little interactions, uh, anything that you were surprised by, what were some of the things that really stood out for you uh, in this movie? Um, well, I was going to say before going back to the bus fight, I, the guy who's also in Spider-Man, who's in the trailer, which is filming the thing. Ah, he was hilarious. I want more moments with that guy. I want him to be like the new Stan Lee where he's just in the background doing something like that of every movie. I think he was really funny. That's just a particular moment I just remember laughing really hard at right off the bat. And I was like, okay, good good starting off point for this movie. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with the sister and her little like ninja crew thing, right? We see that they made it more hip hop. So does that mean it's good or does that mean that it's like anti-hero? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big question sort of, you know, going forward, you know, I mean, I think that uh, she remember when we meet her, you know, she is running this fight club in Macau. So it's not like she's this virtuous hero with a capital H. She just helps her brother out in a situation where it makes sense. But that doesn't also mean that all of a sudden now she's going to be, you know, crime boss. You know, I think it's somewhere in the middle, but uh, I think it, it does definitely open a lot of possibilities. Uh, and, but you know, there's uh, definitely some conversation about this uh, in in the chat. Uh, let me just throw this in before I go to Elena. Uh, Daniel says, uh, we don't know what she'll make the Ten Rings into yet. At most, I think she'll be an antihero. It's entirely possible, you know. Uh, but what were you going to say, Elena? Um, I just uh, what, wasn't she supposed to go and be shutting down the whole thing, not like rebuilding it and making herself in charge, sitting like 
in a throne of like in super power pose like doesn't that kind of let us know that yeah okay yeah. so she's what another one thing and she's doing another we yeah so, all right so yeah. to your point that's like being the producer in charge of finding the new jeopardy host and naming yourself the jeopardy host or being in charge of like you need to find a vice presidential candidate how about me you know so yes there are definitely some moments <laughs> where you're like okay yeah maybe that isn't what she's gonna do but I think she saw this as like, like I've already got my own operation, so why don't why don't we consolidate my business with the family business? And well, I'm sorry. Like, I, go ahead, I was, Jeff. I was going to say it seemed like her first priority was having the girls practicing with the boys, right? Because that's the first thing that we see as we pull out from her little throne room is the girls, and then we see they're across from the guys. So it's like great, everybody's learning fighting together, and then it's like kung fu, hip hop place so i don't know i didn't i didn't get really bad vibes from it but it just seems like it's like uh it feels like it's like how could you say that they're any better or worse than shield it's not like shield ever seemed like they were really all that good yeah no no i i think that uh it's it, it is a it is a great point um but to elena's point that you're getting the impression when we cut to that, that it's like, oh, she is doing something that uh, she is not supposed to be doing. And in terms of people who are usually doing what they're not supposed to be doing, I'd like to bring to the conversation now the one, the only Zia Anderson, Zia Landerson Bastille Day. Uh, thank you for joining us here for some Marvel movie talk on the Black Cast Entertainment Network. Hi. Zia, how are you? I'm good. You're all so small on my phone. I've never actually done this on my phone. Well, it's if you terrible. Do, if you hold it this way, it looks better, actually. If I'm not holding it. I have a little... There we go. Yeah. So there we are. Oh, and uh, we appreciate uh, you being here. And, you know, we're just sort of going around talking in generalities. Uh, people obviously uh, like hearing from you, except for one person in the chat, but everybody else likes hearing from you. So what we want to know is just sort of overall uh, what you thought of the movie and just a couple of the things that really stood out for you, Zia. So I really liked it. I enjoyed this movie a lot. I thought they did a really good job. And one of the things that stood out to me, which is really important in a movie like this, as Christian and I know from a show that we did like more than other people, but it had its problems, Iron Fist. Correct. Uh, choreography is really, really important. And they nailed that. They did a really good job with choreography. And that's kind of the one thing that I was hoping for that they that they would do well, and they did. So for me... They hit they hit that point really well. So I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and I like the characters. I like the the guy who played Shang-Chi, um, Simu Lu. Got a little bit of a crush on him. My God, he's cute. Uh, it's just a yeah. He did a really good job. Uh, by, by the way, we were talking before when that when that when he popped that shirt off. I was like, all right, hey, wait, whoa, 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 yeah. hold on, hold on now. Yeah, okay? <laughs> everybody just calm down. Uh, there was a collective gasp of from the women and some men in the theaters when that just happened. A few. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Just a few. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, and, and Aquafina was good. The characters were good. The story was good. It was one of those stories. And I really like, people have talked about this before, and I really like when you have um, something of a sympathetic villain, which Shang-Chi's father, they kind of they kind of gave you that. Uh, and so it's one that you're kind of like, oh, I feel a little bit bad for him. Oh, he's still an asshole, but I feel a little bit bad for him. And it's, it's one of those things that they did that really well, too. And the story was fun. And I wish we got more actual martial arts, like the the 
fantastic CGI part was cool too. I enjoyed it. But if we could have gotten a little more martial arts in the second half of the movie, I would have been pretty happy. But all in all, I thought it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, you have these great set pieces, these great fight sequences. And yes, there's uh, there's dragons and water dragons and water dragons. Uh, but at the heart of it, we were talking about there is this relationship between uh, Shang and Katie, that closeness that they have. But there's also the importance of family, which we're also talking about. And uh, let's talk a little bit about his father and, you know, how he we've said before that the the best villains are the ones where you're like, oh, you know what? What they think kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. Whoa, you went a little too far, you know, but like you can see the reasons like he tried to give it all up. Up, and then his wife got killed. So then he's like, all right, so then I'm going to turn into this kid. And then he thinks she's calling to him. So he's just kind of blinded by the idea of like, I, I don't believe anything that they're saying. Like, how could there possibly be this this beast behind the, these walls? It's going to have to be my wife who has been dead for some time. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's everybody uh, spend a couple minutes talking about sort of that in terms of the role that his father plays. Let's have you go first, Elena. Oh yeah, I I love love that they have the the father as the villain because I feel like kind of what we were talking about before talking about the sister. Like, what is that going to be? I feel like it's kind of set up to be almost like another type sympathetic villain, but one that is kind of able to kind of come around eventually. Like that's kind of what they're setting up because her whole thing is also, you know, like she wants gender equality. Like this is a good thing, but when it's like pushed to too far, it's kind of like what you were saying, Jeff, like how this movie is, is kind of reminiscent to Black Panther in a lot of ways. I feel like because it has a sympathetic villain, that's another reason why the story is one that grabs you. It's not like here is evil incarnate. Like we're not looking at like a, a mega Nazi, like in Captain America, you know, you're seeing like, this is somebody who you can really feel for and who under different circumstances you could potentially root for. Um, so especially too, having it introduced with that beautiful love story between the two of them and seeing that look, like y'all know the one that I'm talking about in the opening, just like the look that they have is like, this is somebody who loves, loves this woman. Like they love each other so much that it makes sense that, you know, he thinks that he's fighting for love, which is a worthwhile reason. He just doesn't understand that he's kind of being tricked. So I, I thought that it was brilliant the way that they, they laid the whole thing out. And I think that the way that they're setting it up with the sister kind of almost taking on a similar role, but I think not being consumed by it, um, like her dad was, I think she'll eventually kind of come around and end up maybe joining them, but we'll see what happens on that end. But I yeah, I think... I think their mother, you know, obviously takes a page from the great film Love Story, where they say that love means never having to say I'm sorry. Well, love means never having to say I'm sorry that I just kicked your ass and made you look stupid, even with your magical 10 rings, you know, and I think that's the real love because he's like, you know, 
probably his reaction could have been, I'm going to have to kill this broad, aren't I? But instead he's like, oh no, this is great. And I do think it's great that it's sort of like, you know, there's something that it's almost like a, like a ballet, sort of the way that they're fighting. It's so well choreographed and the style she has, you know, where they make the point, you know, Michelle Yeoh makes the point to uh, to Shang-Chi, the, the open hand and the importance of that and the difference. And yeah, I just think the importance the importance of his parents throughout all of this, Katie, I think really says a lot. And obviously the, the, the mother is only really in, well, we only ever see her in flashbacks, which I think is a, a, a really important way that we see her. But um, what do you think, uh, Katie, in terms of the actual family in, in Shang-Chi's life? Um, so I, I have a point I want to make, but I do want to address a comment about this that Daniel made earlier. Cause he said that uh, one of his friends, thought it was predictable the whole father-son conflict and how it plays out at the end uh i i can understand why someone would think that but at the same time it did not bother me and i believe you said it did not bother you either because it would have been really easy for shang to take revenge and just be like yeah i'm gonna kill my dad and he chose not to and he chose to just you know forgive him and realize like this is you did this but it's not doesn't feel right to kill you and it shows that he is human and that he doesn't want that he doesn't want to be a killer uh and i think that that was a very big message that was important for the film but let me just jump in for a second too because if you have a a less well-rounded character there could also be this idea of like well i'm taking these rings with me you know i'm not i'm not i'm not giving them to you what what would i do that for you know so i think his arc is actually uh you know in his final moment, he is actually heroic. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, not to not to compare to the Holy Trilogy, but uh, it's sort of like a Darth Vader moment where it's like, well, at least the last thing I did was good. I might have killed a bunch of kids, but look what I did right at the end. Remember that, you know. Yeah. But anyway, um, back to what you were saying, Katie. Sorry. But you know, there is the his, his the family he was born with. There's that friend. There's that family story. There's also the family you choose. And there's also a very good representation of a a Chinese family and an Asian American family, because you see his family who's speaking in their native tongue, which was a huge move for Marvel. And I'm so happy that the first 10 minutes of this film is them speaking in native tongue, which I was not expecting. I thought it was all going to be English. You know, most films that are filmed and are American do that. And it added some something to it. You know, this is China long time ago they're not going to be speaking in english uh but then they also show katie and her family who are asian american who are immigrants and the difference of when she's like i don't really speak chinese well but you know that she understands chinese because of her uh, because of her grandma so you also got by the way that guy has a great response it's okay i speak abc <laughs> one of the funniest lines. <laughs> that and when that and when when uh, Aquafina was giving him shit for naming him for changing his name from yeah. Shang to Sean, dude, that yeah. killed me. <laughs> I love that. that. And then uh, there's also the family you choose. You know, Katie is his family. Katie is the family that he found when he needed someone else to be there for him in his life. And as far as most Marvel films go, and you guys can correct me if I'm if I'm not correct but you don't see a lot of family stories in the mcu you see a lot of family you choose you see a lot of the avengers you know they're all family but aside from you know a a couple stories you know we have we had one in black widow which is talking about family um but there's been relatively few stories like that and so 
it's nice to actually see something that's not just, okay, we're all kind of messed up. We all have family dad issues. And to break that down, especially when in so many people's life, family is a big deal to everybody, whether we want it to be or not. And I think that's why it makes it relatable. So that's why I appreciated how much time they put onto the, how much emphasis they put on family. So. Yeah, Cammy Egan in the chat, uh, Tony Leung's character had a redeeming quality, which was the love he had for his wife and children, but just his lust for power was all consuming. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jeff, about this sort of conversation about, you know, when you have your villain, uh, the comparison to Killmonger is, is a great one where it's sort of like you you can at least understand them, you know, and I think that that is something that we do get a lot in the MCU, you know, and it, it was not necessarily prevalent even in superhero movies from, you know, decades ago. Um, I think it's interesting with the Mandarin because, uh, I mean, look, we see Killmonger kill some people in the museum, but generally we get more of an impression that Killmonger's a killer than see him killing. I felt like we saw the dad, Mandarin, killing more, right? We saw him being straight-up ruthless murderer more, but I also bought the idea that, like, his connection to the wife and therefore his children overpowered that like that he was consumed by this lust for power but that that was the thing that broke him away because it was like it was through that crouching tiger fight that they did that it kind of changed the whole thing for him like all this power didn't have to just be about power for power's sake like it changed the meaning of what he was already trying to get anyways right and so again i get how it might be trite to have father-son reconciliation but what, what are you supposed to not have parent-child reconciliation that's just then you have no character development and that's just a bad movie too so i don't know it, it made sense to me that that the father was gonna let those things go and see again that it's like look the wife is still there in his children and also that it made sense that when he was consumed by grief after she first died that he just wanted to set the world on fire again like he had the power to do that why wouldn't he like everybody does their version of that when they go through grief like that that consuming right. i'm sure Right. Uh, one of the other things I want to make sure that we address is, you know, we've talked a lot about the representation on the screen, the Asian representation, but uh, something that's come up in the past is just the really strong female representation uh, throughout the entire film. I mean, starting with Katie and Michelle um, Yeoh's character. And again, the just sort of the power of Shang-Chi's mother and all that. Uh, Zia, talk a little bit about uh, the ladies up on the screen. And uh, no, you know what? I'm sorry. Jeff and I are going to mansplain it to all of you. And we'll tell you. No, no. Zia, tell us about the uh, female representation in the movie. They did such a good job with the female representation. It wasn't really heavy handed where they're like, look, strong women. And you're like, Jesus, oh, I'm sorry. Right. Does, it, does that remind you of a movie where maybe it wasn't done well? Yes, the female representation. Yes. Do you yes. Just a do little you, bit. Do you want to uh, say no, the name of that movie? They, we're not going to talk about Captain Marvel again. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Captain Marvel, same. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, they did such a great, they let, they let the characters speak for themselves and they were just very well-written characters. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, starting with Katie, who I've seen, you know, Aquafina can be a very big personality and a lot of people don't like her, but I thought that she was really great in this role. And uh, I liked her character because it, 
here's where it gets a little bit interesting. So she's there through all of it because she's she's part of his family. She's he's she is his chosen family and they're, you know, really, really close. So obviously she's going to go with him. What was funny to me, though, is how when uh, Wong comes through, he's just like, yeah, come with me. You better come too." like now. She's just a part of it. She doesn't really do anything like granted. She she did in that moment where she shot the dragon through the throat like that is she saved Shang's life and probably, you know, saved the entire world from getting eaten by that giant uh, dragon thing. But it she doesn't really do anything. She's not. She's not actually important when it comes to any of that stuff. She's just kind of there. <laughs> like she's, I mean, she's just, a good she's a good driver, but she I, is a good driver. But the fact that nobody knows that she can shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, and yeah, they just learn. They're like, "Well, you better come," and you're like, "Okay, but why?" And I'm fine with it. It's just funny. You're like, but that was like the one hole where I was like, "All right," uh, but other than that, I go ahead. Sorry. I think it makes sense. Like, if she was there and in, like, that whole mystical land and she saw everything that went down and Sean was clearly busy, you know, across the water with his dad, that, you know, that Wong might be like, so, while he was busy with that whole moment, what the hell was going on here? Like, fill me in. That makes sense. Yeah, and that sort of makes sense, too. But at the same time, then he could also go get the sister, which, like, he didn't get the sister for anything, and she's off doing her own thing. Uh, and it was, like, I would, if you're covering all those bases, go get everybody. Like, you need to get, I mean, you need to talk to everyone. Yeah. Wait, what happened? in the bar. Oh, oh, oh like, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to make another trip. I don't have, like, you know, <laughs> these portals yeah. take some time. It's- it's almost like once she gets one, yeah, exactly. It's it, 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 it. I made the comparison earlier. It's like at the end of Back to the Future, the first one, when Doc's like, "Well, you got to bring your your girlfriend." And then, of course, you know, in the second movie, they're like, "Actually, we don't need this girlfriend. We got to make sure she falls asleep." So the idea oh, is though that I think we're going to see that she is maybe more important than we realize. I think that that's She's a story that a hasn't been role. told yet. You know, and uh, Katie, is that something that you had thought about that? Uh, perhaps Perhaps that uh, in addition to having the name of someone destined for greatness, did you get the feeling that Katie uh, is, you know, that there's probably stuff that maybe Wong just knows something that he hasn't even had the time to explain yet? I mean, it's possible. Uh, Wong knows a lot. They all see a lot. Uh, But I think it's also more like, hey, so this Avengers business is a need to know type thing. And you're basically you've been through some stuff you've seen some stuff so you're basically kind of like an honorary person that we're going to bring in because it does involve you you know you know you know what these do you've seen it you've seen what we're facing uh you've seen how these use so even though she may not have the physical strengths that the rest of the mcu characters have she has a different standpoint she has the more of a civilian outlook she has more of the knowledge based stuff she has more of the life the relatability of it if that makes sense you know you actually see her as this this everyday girl who when things happen she takes charge and i feel like that's also a good message for young girls to be like you know what maybe you aren't a good archer maybe you're not good at combat but maybe you're good at other things and you're going to use those to the best of your ability and she did that and i think it's it's also important message for the girls to be like I can still look up to her. You know, she's still kicking ass. She's still trying her best. And she is going to just keep going through full speed and see what happens. And I, I think kinda, that's kind of kind of inspiring. So Go ahead, Elena. 
I thought it was to also just kind of Wong was like, all right, well, you two are real tight, like, and she's real stubborn, so she's going to make you tell her whatever I say anyway. So May as well just have her anyway. Yeah, like, it just kind of felt like that was kind of the vibe, too. Like, And from the audience perspective, having somebody who is just, like, a regular person who can then give us the exposition without it feeling forced, who can ask the questions, like, hey, I don't know what any of this means. Explain it to me. Then we as the audience will get to know what's happening in a more natural way. Plus, just anytime we have more Aquafina, I'm here for it. Yeah, and then I think, uh, Jeff, there is uh, obviously this important idea of, you know, that, yes, you have people who are born with abilities, you have people who have magical rings, but that obviously if anybody is, is, you know, has the, the, the right amount of heart, yes, maybe you can actually have the perfect shot and uh, get the dragon in the heart. But you look like you were about to say something else, Jeff. Well, actually, it, from this whole thing reminded me of the one thing that annoyed me in the movie, and that was their stupid dinner conversation with their friend. <laughs> See, I thought that was funny. Shit. I liked it, too. No. No. <laughs> Jeff is like, no. Dumb. No, here's why it was dumb. They were she was giving them shit for wasting their life and they're supposed to be 20 fucking four and she said that uh, Aquafina had a graduate's degree from Berkeley she would have just fucking graduated what are you talking about she's wasting her life on that note if she's this smart and they're this brilliant why wouldn't Wong be able to teach her magic yeah oh that'd be cool I, yeah, look, I, I, like I said, there might be something going on like later that happens and why he brought her. But just in the moment, I was like, she, how do you know she can do anything? Like, you don't like maybe there is more that she. Oh, uh, somebody froze. But, froze. Yeah, but that's that all right. Weird. Everybody it's, just disappeared for me. For, well, that's because you froze. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't blame us because you and froze. I think everybody's frozen. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's Zia's burner phone is is really what happened there. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll pop her back in uh, like in a moment. Like she just like yeah, <laughs> into pixels. Like, yeah, yeah, right. It's like exactly. Thanos snapped and away went Zia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, yeah, the the, the whole uh, Infinity Gauntlet was all just building up to make uh, Zia go away, and she's uh, she's working on uh, reconnecting. Oh, no. I, I think she will uh, pop back in. She's yeah. uh, already uh, ducked out once uh so well of them too to change the rings from like rings like it was in the comics so that it wouldn't be yeah. like the gauntlet like i was like brilliant yeah uh i think that uh zia's theory is that uh the phone battery was low so uh she says uh thanks everybody and she appreciates oh, it but Bye, uh thanks you know, for joining us. yeah thanks for being here uh i did want to talk to her about the fact that uh captain marvel made an appearance in the movie because people who know her know that uh, she was not a fan of that movie but i think that the importance of that scene is obviously the where we're going forward and that's kind of how i want to wind this down is we sort of touched on my theory as to what the rings might be there are many other possibilities that's just the one that i was excited about in my head um but uh let me ask you first jeff where do you think uh, it goes from here in terms of you know how involved uh, shang chi is going to be and just the movies that we already know are coming out you know do you think it's likely that we'll see him in any of the next couple movies or is uh, is he maybe a little bit uh, more suited for an Avengers movie before a Shang-Chi 2. 
I don't know. Well, I I could easily see a Shang-Chi 2 before an Avengers movie because I think Feige's been on record as saying we need to build back up to that. Remember how we did it the first time? Uh, so I don't think there's going to be another Avengers movie for a little while. And I would assume, based on the success that it's had so far, that if they haven't made plans to incorporate him, they're going to incorporate him in more things, or if they should, if they haven't planned that yet. Um it seems like he's going to be part of the Avengers and ongoing things like that because they're making these connections to like uh, Bruce Banner and Captain Marvel and everything. I I know isn't the Marvels supposed to come out in the next couple it, of Eternals? No, no, the one that's called the Marvels, which is essentially yeah, Captain Marvel too, but Ms. Marvel will be in it. Monica Rambeau will be in it. That is, I think, a 2023 without uh, looking it up. But yes, that so, we are. That is something we're building to for sure, though. I think that is going to come before or right around this next Avengers. I think you, a movie that's already a team-up movie like that is going to be closer to when we're getting to Avengers. No, I, I definitely uh, agree with uh, that. Uh, Elena, what did you think when you saw that scene in terms of uh, the wheels that started spinning? Did you uh, get out your handy notebook and start writing out numbers that you saw that the rest of us didn't see <laughs> and what they added up to? And for people that don't know, uh, Elena came on, I believe, at one of the last episodes of WandaVision on Marvel Movie Talk. And uh, she gave a, she schooled us on some numbers, that the number, the numerology that we didn't realize. So uh, was it just production stuff in the background in general <laughs> that I just got way into because sometimes I do that why not <laughs> but, but was but was there something about sort of seeing that seeing him like ushered into the MCU as we're talking about that started some wheels turning about like well I want this to happen and that and this I think and that definitely you know? Eternals like I think you're definitely on the right path with that um which I was excited about. I, I feel like there's, I, I don't know. I think that they just have so many possibilities now, especially because this character was so, so successful. I'm hoping that it's going to lead to maybe some projects that were kind of, you know, questionable team up ones that they weren't so sure about that maybe now they're going to potentially happen. Um, I mean, I'm still going to always be bitter that there was never a uh, Hawkeye Black Widow team up buddy movie because that would have been perfection. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there's always also sort of the smaller scale that stuff you might get, you know, that the the disillusion of the uh, the Netflix deal meant that we didn't get a Daughters of the Dragon series that it felt like they were building towards. And, you know, I think I think Colleen Wing still needs to get her day in the sun, you know, and uh, oh. maybe we get all of that before I keep forgetting. Yes. This this made me think back to that. um Iron Fist comic you lent me back in the day that was the beginning of the Tournament of the Heavenly Cities. Right. right? It was like Lund and all those. Is Talo one of those heavenly cities? If not, can it be one so we can have that well, story? Well, that is one of the things where I think going forward that, you know, uh, Shang-Chi's mom talks about how her kingdom is one of them. And this was something that uh, our pal Daniel Drew uh, messaged me about immediately after he saw it because he was so excited at the idea that we were going to get Kun Lun. And 
and they do have rights to Iron Fist and all the characters associated with it. Uh, you know, that reverted from Netflix after two years after they canceled the show. So they're able to do whatever they want. And I mean, I think that, you know, the, the budget for those Netflix shows was impressive, but not enough that we even saw dragon and the defenders. So the idea that they could actually put some of that mythology and combine it with Shang-Chi. I mean, look, it's uh, clearly you can kind of bend some of what the established material is. You know, this idea of he who remains as an iteration of Kang is not something that we had previously, but it made so much sense. And sorry if somebody hadn't watched Loki. I didn't even think about that. But if you hadn't watched Loki at this point and you're watching this show, you know, I, I don't even know how to talk to you. I mean, it's all connected in the end. Yeah. Like, let's be real. So, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, that's sort of one of the things I'm excited about is seeing more of of Talo and, you know, does it, uh, you know, do we get Kunlun as well? And uh, I, I think that the answer is one of those, like, probably it just depends on what stories they want to tell first. And then do they get sidetracked along the way? But uh, I don't know. What do you think, Katie, in terms of uh, the future for the MCU, but also the future for Shang-Chi in his own standalone movies? Uh, I think... Obviously, we're mentioning the Eternals, and usually Marvel, whether we, whether they think a movie is, you know, a tester and scene like that, I still think they have an end game and they have a plan for if it goes well, this is how we're going in a perfect world. This is how we're going, and I, I everything they do is intentional, no matter if it's long term or short term. Uh, so I do think it'll be a bit till we see, like like Jeff said, another Avengers movie. It's just. It's kind of like when I'm going to use sports term, even though I don't know how many people here watch sports, but it's when your, your sports going through a rebuild. And like if you get a whole bunch of trades and you bring in a whole bunch of people, it's kind of like that. You know, you're rebuilding a new, the next line of Avengers, essentially. It's going to take time. Uh, it's going to take patience. It's going to take a long time. But I mean, I'm pretty sure we every, they, Marvel knows that they're not losing their audience, even though it seems like there might be some, you know, superhero fatigue. They surprise us. And then we're just like, well, back on back on the wagon, you know, like I'm still there watching, you know, four Disney Plus shows and I'm still watching the Marvel stuff. So, yeah. And honestly, I'm just anxious to see how it's all connected. Uh, you know, ever since Loki kind of WandaVision, which I had thoughts on, but Loki came out and you're starting to see this multiverse open. And I am just like, sign me up. Let me see where this is going. How is the Fox and Marvel merger going to happen? And that's what I am waiting for. But I am hoping to see Shang-Chi along with Doctor Strange because they're so similar, yet but yet would complement each other. But I'm also just curious how that would work because the way the rings work and the way that Doctor Strange's magic abilities work, there's lots of reminiscence and echoing of each other. And so I'm curious, you know, are we going to see Shang-Chi in the multiverse of madness or are we going to see him later on down the line? Because, you know, he, he knows Wong. We know Wong is investigating these rings. And I'm also like, where is Stephen Strange during this? Because obviously Wong is the one talking to him and Stephen's not there, which I'm guessing he's doing the Spider-Man thing because I'm assuming they're kind of 
you know. Yeah, when we get the the timeline for these stories and WandaVision and all that, it'll be uh, interesting to know. By the way, in the chat, uh, Ivan Soto said what we were all thinking. Listen up, DCEU. Don't force your team up movie just because you want to make more money, you know. Uh, And then decide you're not going to make it anymore, you know. Yeah, right, exactly. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think that, Katie, your point about uh, sort of having some rebuilding uh, is important, and it is one that I can certainly certainly relate to having been a Mets fan for most of my life. Most years are rebuilding years. So yes, uh, I think that here's the thing too, though, because you know, the uh, obviously having a global pandemic is a terrible thing. I'm not trying to marginalize that, but in terms of the timing, it came, I've said many times, imagine if it was between Infinity War and Endgame and then it was like, oh, you're going to wait two years for that movie. Instead, it was like, oh, we're going to bring Marvel into your house. Is that going to be okay? We have these these great shows that uh, we thought you might check out. And then that's the thing where that's how you prevent the fatigue is you just make good content. And then it's like, oh, I don't want to see this but everybody says it's good you know uh jeff our, our mutual friend will sterling who we do the black cast with uh he tries very hard to not see any more marvel movies because he felt like there were too many but then it, uh, so he's like well i'll see ones with spider-man in. well i'll see a captain america movie and uh you know and then uh, a black panther movie you know so it's just like yeah as long as they as long as they put something out there that seems interesting i think people are going to be excited and even the people who maybe are like, I don't know, I think I'm over this. Uh, if they hear great things, it's going to be hard to stay away. And, you know, people who saw that Spider-Man trailer, maybe they hadn't seen the last few MCU movies. But I'm going to bet that they're excited to see that. What are you about to say, Jeff? I'm going to say, look, I totally understand somebody saying that they don't have time for all the TV shows or like paying for extra services. You kind of don't have an excuse not to see the movies. At max, there's four movies a year. You're telling me you don't have eight hours a year to watch a movie to then be able to discuss these things knowledgeably with everyone else? Like, just stop. You definitely have that time. (laughs) Watch the movies. You can watch them when they come out on video if you want. I don't care, but just don't say you're not going to watch them. Just don't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. watch Plus, them, there's no excuse not to watch them. Plus, if you skip that year's Fast and Furious movie, that's already two extra hours you've given yourself. Look, I'm just trying to help. All right. I'm not I'm not judging anybody. Uh, anyway, I thought that this was a this was a phenomenal entry in the MCU. It's a great character and I'm excited to see him again. Uh, whenever that might be, I think it'll probably be soon. You know, it probably would, you know, if there is a connection to Eternals, it's probably like another end credits scene, you know, but uh, hopefully we'll know all that soon. And uh, I was just glad that uh, we were able to have a, a, a great big movie that we were able to go see in the theaters. Uh, I, uh, I liked a lot about Black Widow, but it always had this sort of tinge to it because it was set in the past. You know, and it was like, we know what happens to her, you know, and this is like finally pushing the story forward in a big way, even though, you know, up until the end credits, it's really, you know, not interconnected. It's not such a huge part of the MCU. And I think that that is what worked the first time when they built up phase one. You know, did you have to see 
Captain America to see Thor. Did you have to see them in that order? It might have helped, but you also didn't have to, you know. And so this is another one of those where it's that. And, you know, if you see Eternals without having seen Shang-Chi, it's probably going to work. And then at some point it's like, yeah, but we got this other thing where you're probably going to want to catch up on all those. And I don't think that's great. Uh, Elena, uh, I wanted to give you a chance for any sort of final thoughts about the movie, the future, uh, anything, and then uh, let people know where they can uh, keep in touch with you. I just think the movie was awesome. I think everybody should go see it. Uh, hopefully everybody who's listened to all of our spoilers this whole time has already seen it, but <laughs> go see it again. Um, and you guys can find me on Instagram at Elena J. Jordan and on Twitter at Elena Jordan, spelled A-L-A-N-A, like Alana, just to make Christian mess it up. And and how many years have I known you? And I still can't say your name right. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, if it wasn't on the screen, I would say Elena. That's the difference is that I'm looking at you and I'm like, well, it says Alana. So that must. Right. So maybe she was lying to me this whole time. And uh, Katie, Christine, where do people find you? Uh, you guys can find me at, across all social media at KT underscore Christine, uh, including Twitch, uh, trying to be better at Twitch. But, uh, you know, things happen. Life happens. But if you like watching people get frustrated with video games uh then come find me on twitch uh also over at the con guys podcast we usually have shows on monday but we've actually branched out and we're doing the con girls now which is the female side of the con guy where we talk about things from a female perspective but not in ways that like hate on everything else and hate on men i just want to make that clarifying (laughs) it's just the female perspective on things uh so yeah that's where you guys can find me at yeah, and uh, there they uh, there was a special con guys uh, a couple weeks ago now where uh, you and I were part of a conversation about Shang Chi, so people can check that out. And I'm going to be very nice, even though she uh, hung up on us. Uh, people can find Zia at Zia underscore Land on Twitter and Instagram, and her Twitch is uh, is Zia Land, uh, no underscore, and she can be found regularly on the Chip Chipperson podcast. Jeff, anything to say about that? It's not a real person, so. Not a real person, yes. Uh, she can be found regularly on the Chip Chipperson podcast, and uh, it's Eric Nagel on uh, iHeartRadio. Uh, so uh, you can find her in all those places. And uh, she's very proud of her OnlyFans, which is also Zealand. And uh, I'm sure that a few of you in the chat have uh, taken a peek over there. And uh, best of all, her husband takes all the pictures. So, uh, you know, they that that seems to work for them. <laughs> so uh, you can find her in all those places. But somebody that's always very hard to find is Jeff DeRay. I think that the only way that people will be able to find you is the next time you're on the Blackcast. I've got a, I've got a new Twitter handle. It's pot US. Just look me up. P.O.T.U.S. <laughs> I'm so slow. I'm like, wait, is he really starting? Oh, hot US. I'm so glad that uh, you might have a couple of followers on there. And of course, you can find me at Christian DMZ. And that is our Shang-Chi conversation. Thanks so much to Jeff, Katie, Elena, Zia, Caitlin, Eric, other Jeff. And biggest thanks of all to me. Uh, This was so much fun. And our next episode is another fun one. Uh, I talked to author to Ray about a book that he wrote about Prince. And in that book is called nothing compares to you an oral history of Prince. And that episode will kick off an entire week of music conversations, including a bunch of musician interviews 
that I did over the summer. All of them are entirely brand new and never before on the audio version of the Blackcast, but some of them might seem familiar if you're a subscriber to the Blackcast YouTube channel, which I feel like you should all be, but ultimately it just seems like it's just Dominica Saxon and Sam Whitfield, maybe my mom. But uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of music talk, so please tune in for that. Our conversation about Prince really is a lot of fun, and Toure has really put together a great book. So if you're at all inclined, check out Nothing Compares to You, An Oral History of Prince, which includes great stories about how Toure got to know Prince, a disastrous pairing where Prince opened for the Rolling Stones at the Coliseum here in Los Angeles, and so much more. But whether you check out the book or not, be sure to check out our next show. That'll be Blackcast, episode 454, which will be next time on The Blackcast. Look at that, there's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listening to Black Cast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes app, put on the BC. Podcast on, no talking to me. Listening to Black Cast. Keep up on comics and movies. Two phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listening to Black Cast. Don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass, I'm kissing. Listen in the black cast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen in the black cast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen in the black cast. Met this girl, she smiled at my face. Black cast in Chile to my place. Had one beer, she brought a whole case. Listen in the black cast. Cops knock on the door and listen. Black cast on, they think I'm Christian. Cops ran off, now I ain't tripping. Listen in the black cast. My point is, listen to this show. Don't need me to tell you it's dope. Rock so hard like Johnny Litho. Listen in the black cast. Oh yeah, that's the black cast. It's on the ghost twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on AfterBuzz TV, that's right. But that guy Christian, you rock! Alright, several Texas had to go take care of some business. But I'm here to say, have a nice day. And listen to the damn show. Sean Chi. Shang. Sean. Shang. Shang. S-H-A-N-G, Shang. That's what I said.